Crash Chords Podcast, episode 200. 100. We're at our uh, anniversary episode that we do every 50, because we like to keep it nice and even and round. Yeah, and, and 50 is a good number to work with. It's I think nice. so. It's shocking. It means we get two weeks off a year. And uh, I'm excited to do our <laughs> yearly episode special, I guess bi-yearly, because technically the year in review is also a special. Yeah, yeah. we have our review season, and then we have our uh, season season. I guess right. this is our season season. I guess so. Yes. Um, but uh, I'm always excited about these episodes because we always try and think outside the box a little bit and i am really excited for about what we're going to do today Mm -hmm. you actually you're excited yeah well i thought i was gonna get blamed for doing this today because it was kind uh, of my i'm excited to talk about it i wasn't super excited about the experience as a whole be positive be positive we have to maintain that positivity yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) all right uh so yeah in the way that we kind of like to do uh something special for the anniversary episodes uh these these markers kind of also give us a chance to do something special for the website uh it's mostly status quo here at crash chords but hopefully by now you should see a few different things on the website Number one, we're on a Thursday schedule now. Very soon, in fact, as we add more content, you may even see an actual schedule on the website. But for now, it's pretty easy to remember. It's the Crash Course Podcast every Thursday and Crash Course Autographs every other Tuesday. So file that away, and as always, subscribe and invite us into your lifestyle. Discuss the album at happy hour. <laughs> All of these <laughs> things are possible. Next up, the archive is updated. The At-A-Glance archive, the Excel document that we've had uh, ever since episode 19. It is probably the quickest way to see what albums we've taken on throughout our history. Well, it was temporarily unupdated due to technical issues, but all's well right now. And from now on, we'll keep that updated from the following week of when an episode is published. See, I don't like posting the ratings without giving a courtesy week to listen and wonder because of the fact that we never like the number rating to be the end of the discussion. They're just for record-keeping purposes. The discussion is, as always, far more important to us. That's why the ratings are kind of out of view, off to the right. Like, if you're on the page, you have to scroll all the way to the right just to see them. We hide them. Uh, Number three, our podcasts are now searchable by genres and tags. This may seem minor, but we know that our categories were never terribly helpful. Especially because one of them was music. Yeah, especially considering, like, music in general. Great, great, really specific there. Uh, Yeah, and we also withheld, like, up till now, I think, adding tags. We never really bothered with the tags. But anyway, as we get more content, we realize that this has become somewhat of a necessity. So go nuts. Don't take the genres to heart. uh, With perhaps a few judgment calls, most of them are just Wikipedia-inspired. So it's it's all just a help you navigate and sort. Uh, Next up, the Crash Chords blog. What does this mean? It's not what you think it is. Until we actually have like an article segment again, or rather a continuous dedicated series, the Crash Chords blog is basically an amalgam of all articles that were written ages and ages and ages ago, and miscellaneous posts on the site that are not podcasts. So it's where all of the extraneous content will go until we have more dedicated series, which we may be having very soon. So stay tuned. Next up, the testimonials and acknowledgements page. This has been a long time in the making. Uh, Both artists and listeners have said really, really nice things about us in the past. And the most eloquent stuff we like to share. 
It's important to us. The compliments will actually all come right back to you in just a moment, so stay tuned. Next up, the updated album art collage. Yes, it's been like one of our main banners for a very long time now, and uh, we haven't updated it since like episode 70 or something like that. It's going to be a lot denser um, from me reading it now when it's not up and when you're actually staring at it when it is up. So yeah, I just thought I'd advertise that as some nice web candy. Uh, it's fun to stare at. <laughs> and finally... I need to do that thing that I said I was going to do in the beginning and send those compliments right back to you. Um, let me re-emphasize, the Crash Cards podcast is four years old at this point, and if you've been here for the duration, God knows why you would be, because the first rule of Crash Chords is you don't talk about the earliest episodes. The second rule of Crash Chords is you never talk about the earliest episodes. Nothing before 25. Nah, Nothing 25. before, yeah. Maybe even push it up a little bit. I don't know. I really don't know. Well, anyway, maybe you've just been with us for maybe a year or two, or maybe you just joined us today because the title looked funny. Well, first of all, thanks. Thanks. Uh, and second of all, you're probably more amazing than most people. How's that for brown nosing? <laughs> I mean, pretty shameless, actually. Pretty, pretty, Very thick, shameless. pretty thick, yeah. Uh, but yeah, really, though, all of you are actually amazing. Anniversary episodes are, as always, a chance for me to kind of hammer home the mission statement. It's a very special kind of person who will listen to a full-length, song-by-song music analysis. They're the kinds of people who watch lectures or listen to panel discussions or in-depth interviews. Why would you do this to yourself? Because analysis is fun. Well, it can be, but more so, it's important. And not to put too fine a point on it, analytical minds and curious minds are probably the best cross-section of humanity. They challenge the norm, they cross-examine, they self-examine, and reveal things about the world that would otherwise remain clouded or shuttered away because the belief isn't popular or doesn't appease the right crowds. This is true for science, it's true for politics, it's true for literature, and it's damn well true for music. This is why we occasionally get caught up in digressions on the first three, even when our focus is supposed to remain the latter. Because when it concerns the humanities, disciplines kind of tend to brush up against each other. Uh, so yeah, I deeply respect people who are inherently analytical or skeptical. They comprise my closest friends because I relish in having discussions with people, and discussions can careen to a close when someone thinks it's cool to hate on certain things for whatever reason. And while we're at it, blind love, as it were, is kind of overrated too. Case in point, if your spouse or significant other ever asks you why you love them, well, you better have reasons locked and loaded and ready to fire on a hairpin trigger. And I believe if you love them, you probably will. Now, we're not perfect. And to show this, we admit our faults on air. Case in point, I don't know why I love funk. I just do. And I'm sure I could probably explain it if I tried, and hopefully the opportunity will come up on this podcast. But of all areas of analysis, I think I just get bored trying to explain why I love funk, because instead of spending time explaining it, I'd probably rather be listening to funk. Keeping with the attraction analogy, I guess funk would be considered a kind of sex addiction, right? Is that, does that follow? Well, I'd take it more controlled substances. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, it makes sense considering as, the genre, as right? Work as sex, I mean, sex can be really good. Well, it is the pornography genre of choice for over forty years running. Okay, no, I have to I mean, concede that's that. Fair. Point. That's fair. I mean, that's yeah, I guess point. you could compare it to sex addiction. There's got to be a reason, right? Addiction is bad, and yeah, so Dude, I don't does, know. Does funk <laughs> cause chafing? <laughs> it could, I guess. Yeah, okay, maybe. Depends on how much he loves himself while listening to I'll get back to you fun. on that. Maybe it's benign. All right. Uh, as anyway. always, we are not the final word in any form of artistic debate. When it concerns art, I don't think there's any such thing as the final word, in my opinion. Uh, what we are, and what we aim to do on a weekly basis, is to try to be a glimpse into the world of analysis, to be objective, and to chase the ineffable, both in the artistic sense and just to empathize with any crowd that a particular 
piece of art might actually speak to, and just sort of reason that out with our own beliefs. Ideally, if it was ineffable before, it might be easier to elucidate by the time we're through with it at the end of an episode. That said, uh, since it's so challenging to always be on the side of the objective critic, to keep playing devil's advocate against all of our gut instincts, uh, we thought we'd up the ante a little bit for today's episode and truly challenge ourselves. Because there's one area where you'll consistently find snootiness among music critics, uh, from the three of us to respected authors and Vibe and Pitchfork and Rolling Stone. Just about everyone seems to thumb their nose a little bit at the Billboard charts. When at the end of the day, really all the charts are doing are reflecting sales. They have no skin in the game. They're telling us what is most popular right now. No room for debate there. So we just have to stay aware that when people do, us included, thumb their nose at these charts, what they're doing is basically saying, I'm right and the world is wrong. And while all opinions are valid, as an analyst, it's worth noting with the right amount of optimism and pessimism about four things. Number one, what the mass appeal is, as best you can discern. Does the song just have a certain je ne sais quoi? Or another French phrase, maybe a certain joie de vivre, because positivity, after all, is infectious, and a lot of pop songs tend to go down that route. Uh, number two, what the tricks are. Are there any cheap shots at play, and maybe some of them underhanded? There are a couple of videos uh, that I circulated a while back when I was writing for Classical Light about, um, well, of course, we even discussed this. One of them was the Mike Rugnetta video, who you interviewed, Matt, and that was, uh, is pop music holding you hostage? Right. Which I found pretty interesting because that kind of looked at some of those tricks that they might use in order to kind of force you to like a pop song based on based on the mixing, based on the production value, and based on radio play. So, yeah, that's something to kind of keep aware of. And number three, is there anything genuinely revolutionary taking place? However subtle, just try to give some people credit to no ingenuity when they hear it. And finally, number four, maybe it is just a case of runaway marketing. The right producers, the right connections, the correct amount of radio play, and at this point we do dip our toes into the conspiracy, but not so much when you consider the way the business works. Again, I refer you to the PBS Idea Channel, Mike Rugnetta video, uh, Is Pop Music Holding You Hostage? Very fascinating. So... Today, as per John's idea, that's right, I'm giving credit where credit is due. Or blame. Or blame. Depends on how we look at it. (laughs) Kind of blame myself. We are looking at about an album's worth of material. Individually, we're looking at the top 10 hit singles from the Billboard 100, specifically for the week of June 25th, to reflect the week leading up to the date that this was actually recorded. So, as an ultimate example of dating content, uh, we realize there's going to be some changes that will have happened to the top 10 by the time this is published, but whatever, we had to do. We had to pick a week. The die has been cast, and we're starting where we're starting. And something to consider, the specific list we're pulling from is the Billboard Hot 100, which is the the hottest 100 singles, and we are taking the top 10, starting from number 10 and working our way to yeah. the number one Hot 100 single out at the time of when we're recording. That's All right. the way down, yeah. <laughs> All the way down this list. Let's not telegraph it. And you can you can follow along with a Spotify playlist that Matt made for this particular top 10, so you can count down from 10 to 1 with us. And I think 10 is actually a pretty fair number to look at. Yep. Obviously, it's a little bit arbitrary. It's just a nice, another round number, but it's actually a little bit under our usual album's length. And considering we have to kind of account for the fact that we're looking at a different artist in each song, uh, it may or may not entail more discussion. So I think it's a fair number. Um, And something to keep in mind also is if, for whatever reason, you are not following us on the web and you are through iTunes or Stitcher and you can't find the playlist and you don't want to go to our website for some reason but you have Spotify, Mm. if you search Matt Storm, you can find my profile. I'll make this playlist public 
with a lot of the other ones I do for burlesque shows, and you can just subscribe along there and then follow it there too. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a great idea to kind of approach this on a song level, which we don't normally do. We normally, you know, we, we attack a song at a time, but with the overall picture of an entire album, which there clearly isn't here for what we're doing. Some of these songs don't actually even come from albums. Some of them are from soundtracks and are literally standalone singles that are singles that won't be anything else. But that are doing really well in sales. Right. And it also is going to challenge us to kind of change the way that we view the songs individually and the concept that we're not going to be rating this on the album scale. There is no album going on right here. We actually have to try to figure out how to rate the individual pieces when after 200 episodes, we've been trying to talk about the work, the work of a grand artist or a grand conglomerate of artists. Different individuals are collaborating on our normal albums. But here, here is just people producing some of the most earwormy stuff they can come up with. Yep. There's actually another video that I thought about recommending, and that was a uh, Why We Love Repetition. It's just an right. interesting breakdown. Uh, I believe it's by uh, Ted Ed. So that would be the educational uh, of arm of Ted. Ted arm of, of Ted. Ted Talks, yeah. Which I guess they're all really educational, or at least thought-provoking. Yes. But yeah, it's uh, an interesting little breakdown of, uh, again, some of the stuff that Mike Rugnetta mentioned, like why this stuff kind of gets into our heads. And it doesn't flat out, you know, uh, berate repetition. It's an inherent it's always been uh, an music. inherent tool yeah. of music yeah. for centuries. So, and also before we get into track 10, uh, as we're starting from the tail end and working our way up. Um, number 10. I just the number 10 hit from the Billboard so, 100. So yeah, it is For the week of June 25th. Very, very Casey Kasem of us. May he rest in peace. Casey Kasem. Um, so, a uh, side note, I grew up actually listening to old Casey Kasem tapes because my dad would tape the radios of like the top 10 or the top 100 and like can listen to them back and it was it's really cool because that's not a thing really they do anymore except on these archaic networks called VH1 and MTV which you know kids you may not remember. Well, there's, which, there's maybe still, they do um, it like 3 in the morning or something. Yeah, I don't know do. that they do top 10s anymore. Unless I'm mistaken uh, local area Q1043 K-Rock still does the 1043 greatest rock songs of all time every year over like Labor Day weekend or something okay. like that. And while the you'd think it's rock, it's classic, it's a lot of old stuff, they do change year by year. I'm There's sure. different voters every year. It's very interesting. Um, but so before we get into this, so we're not going to rate on the 1 to 5 or 0 to 5, I guess, technically, as we normally do here. We're going to tell you each song each one of us, if it would make us buy the album or not, or buy what it's featured on or not, or buy the single or not. And that is their their intention with right. the single. So the, re the, you. the logic behind this is singles are designed to sell the record or the soundtrack or the song itself or the artist itself. But also, that's what Billboard is mostly counting here. It's, it's what's the best selling. So we're going to talk about whether this song would make us go buy it, whether it's on... And I think specifically we'd say, would we go buy whatever this song is related to, whether it's the song itself on iTunes, the whole album, or whatever, or investigate the artist on a whole. Mm -hmm. I think just the idea of whether it would make us buy more music or not I think buy that, that's actually a good uh, number five to add to my list from earlier, because I'm yeah. going to try to look through, look at these songs through that particular lens. I'd right. like to know what the mass appeal is, what the tricks are, and acknowledge ingenuity when it is genuinely present. So, let's go. Let's dive into track 10, which is Just Like Fire by Pink, which is actually featured on the new Alice in Wonderland movie soundtrack, uh, Through the Looking Glass. Which, uh, we're not going to talk about the movie because I heard that was really bad, but we're not going to talk about that. And I would want to point out one other thing. It's not Pink. It's P exclamation point NK. Just which I don't know when to change that Yeah, because that's point. not yeah. always been that way. It's not on the old that, covers. And yeah, I remember her old covers. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was punk at first because you see a lot of P with exclamation points in punk. Like that's, yeah. You can't just say punk. It's punk. 
So it was thrown for a loop, but then saw it was pink. And what we get The here, artist formerly known as Pink. The artist <laughs> right, okay, now it's P-I-N-K, or P exclamation point N-K. So first thing I want to say before we get into the meat and potatoes of this track is Pink is an artist that I've actually tended to like quite a bit. She did some great R&B and, and hip-hop stuff, some great dance songs. You know, she's a, a pretty versatile pop artist whose mm-hmm. stage shows I've seen, she does high wire stuff, she does, like, she she's an entertainer. And so I've always respected her, and so I was kind of excited to see this on the list because I like her stuff. However, what we get here to start is just, like, very strummy acoustic guitar work and, like, a very heavy club beat that I'm just, like, I, I'm not even sure what to make of these first 10 seconds. And I want to stress... Objective. We're trying to remain objective. It's the whole goal of this entire thing. Um, But my first observation, at least personally, was the chord progression. I mean, I know that's kind of it. That seems like a cheap shot in itself or to take at pop music because they tend to rely on pretty stagnant chord progressions. But my but the thing here that kind of bugged me was that it really didn't even stray from the 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 chord progression that was used in the verse when the chorus began. They kept with the same exact cycle. I don't think it changed once. Maybe it changed in the bridge. But even there, I'm a little bit skeptical. It was mainly just E minor, then down to C major, then up to G major, uh, and we cycle back with A minor to go back to E minor. I, I just, I don't know. I get, it got tiring, and it was mainly uh, governed by this, like, steel acoustic, which doesn't really do much to bring out, like, the raw, folky feel of the song, because the production values go up pretty much immediately after a couple of verses. So, well, you know, it was just a very bland backdrop. I don't know if the production value goes up. Up, I don't really feel like it was that big of a difference. In other words, it wasn't the a compass- folk song just because it was a steel acoustic to start. Yeah, that's that's actually what I wanted to hit home. It really just seemed to be borrowing the idea of what folk is because as soon as barely the, even. Yeah, when the when that really heavy beat comes in, it kind of drowns out everything else for the bulk of the song that it exists within. Uh, of course, until we get to the clapping point, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But this heavy beat is. Now, it's it's one of the most simple ideas you can come up with when it comes to a rhythm section. It's just a back and forth oscillation between two very, very similar tones that don't do much more than just give the illusion of a heartbeat. When you're all you're doing is alluding to a heartbeat, you don't even feel it. You just it's just said there it, in big bold. There you go. There's your rhythm. Like, I don't even think I got the illusion. Yeah, just exactly. Like it's just rhythm. It's just faceless pure rhythm. human being with guitar. Yeah, I don't know. this combination is not really doing a whole lot to bring out what what Pink is actually saying right here. <laughs> I hate to start off so negatively, but these are the, these are my first impressions here when when the song began. I can admit her voice is still pretty nice, but it doesn't really come out until key moments. Well, um, one of those key moments is toward the end of the chorus because near the end of the chorus, uh, there's just one line that's let me read the the lines of the whole entire chorus first. Just like fire burning up the way. If we can light up the world for just one day, watch this madness, colorful charade. No one can be just like me anyway. And right there, she really dives into her upper register, which is also accompanied by, I think, some background vocalists, uh, or or also um, maybe she's doubling herself also. But it it actually is kind of chilling, and I like I like the uh, the. The melody itself right here, it kind of outlines a ninth chord, but relative to the chord that it's on, which is A minor, it's more of a seventh with the added six, just like the six, one, three, five, six, seven, six, five, three, five, this little, like, <laughs> that would be the actual, like, breakdown of, of the notes themselves. But it's it's kind of beautiful, and it's chilling within the register that she sings. I wouldn't even say kind of. It's just of. so fleeting. Well, I wouldn't say kind of. It is beautiful. It is. But the problem is, 
you know, Pink is a versatile singer who has a beautiful voice, but through most of the verse, she's kind of staying pretty flat. She's not, there's really not a lot of variety, which is fine. She's mm -hmm. done a lot of spoken kind of singing before. Um, it's a lot of the kind of singing that's led into her hip hop stuff, which I don't mind. But then after that, even the chorus and the pre-chorus, so we go from the verse and then we get into the pre-chorus, which is this chanty, very fun, anthemy, not fun like enjoying, but fun like the band, anthemic kind of thing with a clapping, rousing chord. A lot of Clapping and That's, snapping. We came here to run it, run it, run it. And, and and then that goes into the chorus that Steve was talking about, which still feels kind of flat, and then has that one beautiful moment. Well, it still feels, I mean, it feels overblown, but flat in the process, considering right. I've heard so many choruses of that caliber. Well, it's it's because the clapping part, the, the pre-chorus, doesn't allow the transition from verse to chorus to really exist. What you're getting between the two pieces is... Something that really doesn't do much besides try to proclaim rousing, while the music itself in the verse and uh, with the chorus is connected. The connection, the bridge is missing. The lack of this bridge between the two different ideas does a lot to break up the song into almost three parts. I like the three parts kind of individually because they could have gone into some really cool places and stuff like that. But together, it feels like they were kind of mushed, kind of just pushed a little bit too forcefully to one another, and people have to infer what one has to do with the next. Yeah. This this doesn't really work too well for me. To hone in on something else you said, uh, that it tries to proclaim rousing. You know, that's something that I guess in, in prior episodes, I, I may... I, I may have almost like cited it as kind of a faux pas. I mean, like the song doesn't proclaim anything, or rather we tend to, we, we infer a rousing sensation from the song, but in this case, it genuinely is that. The lyrics are just trying to kind of, I guess, rouse you up, proclaim you as an individual, proclaim that you're, you know, you, you run your own life. Um, and the, the, the metaphors here are just so generalized and trite, like, just like fire burning up the way if I can light up the world for just one day. I get it. I get it. These are good messages to send, but can, is there anything just a little bit more original than that? I can't tell you how many times I just hear people going back to the word fire, you know, the, the fire in your heart, the fire in your soul. It's just a little bit tiresome. I, I wish I felt it a little more than this. And then there's also irony beyond that, because later on, I guess this is toward the, the bridge thing, and people like to laugh at you because they're all the same. Uh, see, we'd rather go a different way than just play the game. And yet I see nothing different about this. Right. So well, and then uh, like the only thing that's kind of stand out besides the cycle of verse, pre-chorus, chorus is when we get to this kind of bridge moment that has, I guess, I mean, essentially it's her rapping, but it just the way she's rapping here is not like she's done in the past. It just feels kind of forced, unenthusiastic. It's because focusing it's not rapping, on how, it's repetition. Well, rapping it's and repetition. Well, well no, it's a, it's here. a, it's a, it's. Very, flatter vocals. Yeah. It's not as much singing, but I wouldn't quite call it an all-out rap. It's actually kind yeah. of a middle ground, which is fairly common now. Yeah. I think because there are some artists, and I'll give her this much credit, I, I think there are a lot of artists who, they use the trope of the courtesy rap solo, where yeah. the bridge is a rap solo, and it's maybe a featured artist, and maybe we'll probably be getting that later on this uh, in this little montage here, but um, in this case, I, I think she's trying to avoid being that cliched about it, so it's she, she uses her own vocals, but she's in a weird middle ground. She's well, not singing, just but feels, she's not rapping. It feels non-committal, though, and yeah. that's my big problem. And, and she's exactly. not, because she's rapped before and kind of really committed and made it very powerful and enthusiastic, and here I just don't and see And avoiding it. the cliche, she didn't pick a bold other route. Right, yeah. yeah, she just kind of walked the line, and I don't know, at this point also the constant strumming of the steely acoustic guitar is grating on me, because she's done emotional, heartfelt pieces with acoustic 
guitar work before, but I feel like here it just doesn't have the same heart other stuff has had, and it's kind of just blending in the background. We came here to run it, run it. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not Can't. getting the investment here. Actually, the biggest issue I have with this track is the predictability goes so far that after the bridge, you go into not just the acoustic slow section to rebuild, but the acoustic slow section with half of a chorus because that's what you do the chorus itself is a two refrain kind of a situation with very little variance but it's that moment of go down just guitar just like the beginning go back to the beginning and remind them where the song started and then rebuild it exactly how the song would normally progress in the macro scale Mm -hmm. so what they did in the beginning of the a b c of verse pre-chorus chorus gets condensed into a chorus and a half yeah hmm. this rapid attack really doesn't do anything to solve the previous problem i have which was the pre-chorus being an odd man preventing a bridge yeah. all it does is reiterate the fact that there's no bridge between the two different ideas True. Yeah. this is yeah it, it's it hurts because i pink like a lot of uh pop stars like Christina Aguilera is one of my favorites because she, yeah, very pop, very pop-oriented in all of her music, but she has lungs. Pink, same deal. Has lungs. Has a voice. She's just very underutilized in this track. Yeah, Yeah. I think for me, uh, kind of wrapping up on this track, I'm disappointed because there's a legacy with this artist that I know and that I'm familiar with and that I quite like a lot. Um, So I'm feeling that down here, but also, so this is on a soundtrack, and I actually really enjoyed the previous Alice in Wonderland soundtrack. It had some really great songs by 303 and uh, All American Rejects and... Um, Avril Lavigne actually had a song on it that was really good and it was outside the norm of her her poppy punk stuff. And so to get the hit single from the new movie's soundtrack to be just so lackluster, I'm really disappointed because they did such a good job with the first movie's soundtrack. Yeah, and in addition to not making me want to see the uh, listen to the soundtrack, it makes doesn't me make not want to see, see the movie. movie. Like yeah. There's nothing there that screams, oh, this is a gorgeous Tim Burton, Johnny Depp film. Yeah. like Which is what Alice in Wonderland or Alice through the Looking Glass, a sequel, is supposed to be. It, it's further just it saying... Feels it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It feels very tacked on. It's just another end credits kind of sound. Trying to have the movie feed a random artist and have a random artist feed a film. Yeah. Just money exchanging, so, as far as I can tell. I feel like we can rapid fire through this, but for me, obviously, this wouldn't make me buy the soundtrack, invest in the single, nothing. I just... I There's not enough here for me. In my list, I mean, the mass appeal, as best as I can discern, is exactly the, the joie de vivre thing that I mm-hmm. mentioned later. I think it is just the positivity but it's just so there's no complex story here at all and no there's no story there's no anything there's no no flavor of positivity it's just positivity in general just try to i don't know go a different way with your life and you know they're all going to stop us well don't let them I, I just, I don't know. There's just nothing else there. And then there's plenty of cheap shots, and even that goes for the one that I really, really love. I just, I that little that little line, yeah. you know, I like the little staccato nature in which she sings. It's a nice climax. It only appears maybe, uh, was it two or three times in the mm-hmm. song? I, I need a little bit more. And I can't really speak to the case of runaway marketing, frankly, uh, but there's certainly nothing revolutionary taking place. Number nine, Needed Me, by Rihanna off her album Anti, or 
anti. It's I don't know. All it's all caps. You have to yell it. So, it's yeah. so um, Rihanna's an artist that I respect. I don't necessarily love all of her music, but she is all over the pop culture scene, and she's got a great voice, and she makes some, some... I mean, her dance tracks have been very good dance tracks, and so, you know, that's the market you're working for, and she's also done mm-hmm. some really great emotional <laughs> songs as well. I mean, the original version of Diamonds, as well as the Steam Power Draft cover of it that the we love... Spine was so much better. I see. I wouldn't say that. He was different. Because you can't. It's their, their voices are different. But in all seriousness, <coughs> I actually happen to really like the original version of Diamonds as well. And it's because... That song is good as it is that Spine was able to make it something else. So there's a legacy here as well as far as pop <coughs> female vocalists go. Um, this track starts with kind of a warped soundbitey intro. It's it's, it's uh, it, it feels like someone. It's another one of those like clipped audio sequences where they're like mixing it weird and like warping it. It actually tuning feels it. like someone does have their hand on the volume knob and yeah. it keeps like turning it on and off, on and off, on and off. And that um, had potential though. That was intriguing. Was I like that right away. And it also sounds as if like if you were just to keep the volume on or keep it constant, what you would have is this gorgeous ambient intro. Right. I I. I think it was pretty incredible, and then to, to, to boot, once they start entering in with the, the low-end bass, and I mean really low-end, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's if you feel your whole, your heart shake, it's, it's down to the bellows, and the production work is just so high in this that, I mean, frankly, I guess production work is high on pop songs in general, certain ones that are going to be this high on the list, but also for Rihanna, I noticed she tends to have pretty good production values, um, so because they're, the production values are high, then certain elements tend to pop out on you. Sure. Just, you know, that's a that's a pun on pop. <laughs> <laughs> From the moment she starts to sing, you get the your usual Rihanna inflection and passion. You know, I like the kind of flow she has here. It's somewhere between singing and rapping. But it's all mumbly. I don't. I can't make out half of what she's saying. I disagree. I hear it's her just, perfectly clearly. No, I'm no, I'm, I'm with John on this. This I can't follow her at all, except for very key words here and there. So I'm losing a lot of her inflection. I mean, there just, is this kind of under her breath, kind of aggressive tone to it. Like she's kind of on the defensive. And so I can hear I can hear what you guys are saying. I guess maybe I was focused in more on her lyrics, so I was paying a closer attention. She it's extremely slurred, and I think I actually had this um, uh, conversation about two weeks ago when we did our, our last well full blown rap album, and that was uh, the Impossible Kid by Aesop Rock. And I went on a whole rant there about how you know I'm not as much a fan of slurred rapping, and of course what we got there was was crystal clear enunciation, and uh, the same kind of goes for slurred singing. You know in if I just can't hear the lyrics too well, even if, you know, she... It's still pleasing to the ear, I suppose, because it's Rihanna. She's also a great vocalist. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Like, the obvious disadvantage to slurred singing is that I can barely understand her from verse to verse. That was my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the lines that I do hear, they kind of come across as comical because they're out of context. And then the flip side is that a certain vocal affectation, you could argue that that's that something is added maybe by her slurring. For instance, by slurring, she does come across as sounding a little bit detached. Mm -hmm. And considering the lyrics, having read them, because I had to, because I didn't understand them in the first place, it does kind of make sense. I was good on my own, and that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You was good on the low for a faded fuck and some faded love. Shit, what the fuck you complaining for? Feeling jaded, huh? Used to trip off that shit I was kicking to you? Had some fun on the run, though I'd give it to you. Um... Uh, yeah, a little bit uh, scorned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely this kind of detachment here, and I think that the singing style reflects that. Um, 
you know, the track itself also has kind of a darker sound. I mean, between the tones we were talking about before, the kind of synth sound that we're getting here, it does have this kind of, and the bass you referred to, it does definitely have this kind of darker, like, deeper tone, which yeah. I think is interesting, because a lot of her pop songs have been kind of brighter. And let me clarify also, it's not that she's scorned, it's actually she feel, she's feeling detached from, I think, the guy who was, who was scorned. scorned. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, it's a hard song to read, because it's really just... I guess kind of demeaning what the thing was. Right, like this, this idea that the guy was scorned and she's saying it was less than what he even thought it was. Or it yeah. seems that way, sort of. But the idea, though, would have probably been really forceful if that soundbite that we got in the beginning really became a focal of the actual story attachment to this track. Because the drums that come in, the real heavy percussion line that's in this, or synth line that's in this because honestly there's too many wubs for it to really be a true percussion is just it's just so ever present is another one of those where the drum beat is drowning out so much else of what's going on i'm just um, not into it it's it's just not hitting no it me. doesn't drown anything out that's where i'd argue i i think that what this does have going for it is because it's so well well produced and well mixed i don't think there's any problem of leveling here i yeah. think it's probably uh the best you'll find uh on the spectrum frankly i mean that's just something that you do get in the top 10 of the top 100 i mean considering what i know of her other singles and how they often tend to be dancier or you know more uplifting you know this one's is just it's a different kind of it's it's she's singing from a different place and that's interesting to me i think as a whole this track engages me because even i guess i was more focused on the lyrics so i understood them better maybe i was listening more closely i mean regardless of what i took from it i got the messaging both from how she was singing and what she was saying and i like the tones here i think this kind of darker vibe is reminiscent of some of the songs that she's done um you know but also kind of maybe paving a new direction on taking things to a darker place, maybe a more personal place, which she's always been a very personal singer from what I can tell and speaking from her experiences. And so that kind of engaged me quite a bit. Well, it is interesting to read a song from the perspective of, you know, you needed me, you yeah. know, you needed me. It, like, it's very much, it, her concerns actually don't really come through on this song at yeah. all. It's more, it's it's complete detachment. Talking about how the guy was sort of, you know, all, on on the outs or he was he was feeling a little bit low and so he needed her to fix him it's a weird it's it's kind of a weird perspective i never heard that it's like third person though you're singing in the first person and i think but i think also what's interesting about it is this is not your clip typical you know actually the second person i guess <laughs> it's not your typical love story whoa it's not your typical like you know heartbreak story it's 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 doing something that feels more real because it's complicated and not clear and not you know, just face file you. I don't think it's complicated. It it's honestly, it reads more like it's another self empowering kind of a track. Well, I'm I'm saying she's I'm saying it's, it's less it's less about no, I how much that. he needs her. It's more about basically throwing the opposite of I don't need you anymore. That's that's really where I'm seeing it at. I'm not seeing it as much further than that idea. Maybe like yeah, self proclaiming self- independent woman. Instead, she's just, it's a little bit witty because she is applying the tropes of forlorn love in the reverse while applying it at the same time of the, you know, the independent woman idea, which 
like I understand how that is a little bit out, uh, outside, but it really isn't. Much no, but I definitely got the, I got the empowerment angle because yeah. of the fact that sure. yeah, like yeah, with you, if you don't use the tropes and you never actually refer to it, it becomes kind of stronger that way. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't refer to the obvious, like you know, I don't need you anymore. If you just completely detach yourself, then it's apparent. It's self apparent. Yeah, and I do think that is a little bit more effective. Um, uh, but I can't really help but think that maybe there's something lingering there because of the overall feel of this song. Maybe maybe it is just supposed to, you know, uh, indicate detachment. But especially in the chorus, it's it's a strange chorus. I mean, they're not it, they're not abandoning like the opening clipped audio thing. It comes back, but this time not with like messing with the volume knob, but instead here, sort of an uh, eerie like vague voice that outlines these pulses. It sounds like a voice in the background. Maybe it's hers. Maybe it's just kind of synthesized. But it feels almost like an echo, like a soul caught in the eddy of the river sticks. It's very weird, and it's 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 downright creepy, and it it makes me, I guess, kind of think that there's more going on here than mm-hmm. what she lets on. I just wish I could understand some of the lyrics, because it's even worse when she starts with verse 2. I mean, in some ways, her vocals are more elaborate here, but by being more elaborate, she sacrifices enunciating. She sings here more as if she's rapping, and I guess that's kind of always been her style, but I just, this time I couldn't even catch a word here or there. It was just, it, it felt like a giant mumble, and I don't, I don't think that aided the song very well. I mean, I, that's a fair point. I thought that her, her words were kind of closer together in that part, whereas versus earlier they were more pronounced. I even had trouble following a little bit here, but still, for the whole vibe of the song and the song as a whole, I didn't mind it that much. I, I, I was kind of along for the ride. Consider it. You've been rolling around. Shit, I'm rolling up. Light and roll it up. Break it down like a pound. Shit was never us. Shit was never us. That's the real on the real. Are you serious? How you feel? How you feel? Used to trip off that shit I was kicking to you. Had some fun on the run, though. I give it to you. I don't even think I understand it now. Like, reading it. I mean, I Parts do. Parts of it. I, yeah, yeah, but... I mean, the, it's, it, 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 she's, being, she's being very frank, but also kind of coy at the same time. Like, she's being clear with some lines, and then other lines are kind of rolling no, into it. No, she's not being coy. She's being very blunt about what's going on right here. It, it, it's, it's, it doesn't fit the way she's singing. She's, it, it really is sort of like a reflection on the past, the relationship, how it got to this point, that sort of an idea. But she's being very blunt and in your face about it. There's nothing coy about this, aside from the fact you can't understand what she's saying. It's a little bit that, but it's also a little bit like the, the phrasing itself. But I'm sure like that'll reach that'll, uh, certain crowds that will get this immediately. But I just like the, the phrase shit was never us. I think that's just supposed to mean like we we would never work. Right. Well, that's, I think that's but exactly what it means. The, I d- the phrasing. I, I just don't, don't like. I just don't like that phrase. I guess. Yeah. That that phrasing really is kind of atrocious. It really is a very poor way of putting it. I feel like it's getting super nitpicky at this point. No, yeah. no, because that's no, those, not. Are, those that's are just the, an indication those are of the, the rest key things, of the song. Those are though. the key things that keep me away from this in okay. a way because it doesn't get it. It's not like an incisive analysis at that point. Shit was never us. It's just it, it's almost as general as some of the generalities we got in the first track of positivity, but in this case about this scenario between the two of them. I guess the difference here for me is that I'm getting a lot of it from the instrumentation and the kind of tone of the the, the synth here, so losing some of it in the lyrics isn't as big a deal to me because I get the overall tone of what she's trying to convey here through the instrumentation as well. And so I'm getting the overall messaging, even if I'm missing the details. Well, here's another thing. We haven't really mentioned like the chorus itself as uh, like the main the main melody of the chorus, which is very simply, um, you needed me. But it's not just you needed me. It's 
the way she breaks that up, which I find kind of interesting, and this is sort of a, uh, I get a mixed reactions from this, because of the way she kind of works her way down the scale and almost does these little, like, like trills back up. I could never do it like Rihanna. But it's almost a little hypnotizing, mm-hmm. the way you needed me, oh, you needed me, feel a little more and give a little less. No, you hate to confess, but baby, who you needed me. It's mesmerizing, but it, on one hand, and I think it's actually a talent, it's a skill that, that I... That it's impressive. It, it's just flat out impressive. It's impressive, but at the same time, it's a little bit nulling. And maybe that's the point, because of course, if she feels nulled by the whole entire situation, of course, it would be that way. But It's impressive. I, would, I actually found it a little bit on the annoying side, because it seemed like the only time she was going full force with her vocals. It was yeah. a little bit of a letdown that, that that little word right there needed was so important. And yeah, it's part of the title and everything like that. But why build up very kind of passe to it and then break out something like that vocally? Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's skillful, but it's also really dull in its way. Like the way in which she sings, I guess it's just not really appealing. But I have to admire that there's very few people who could probably do that. So I'm, I'm just left in a weird middle ground again. All right. I guess let's start wrapping up this track. I mean, if we're looking at it through the same lenses, um, I think I would know what people would go to this for, and I think a lot of it is her singing, because there's still a lot of nice singing amidst this, because obviously if I just tune myself out to the words, then I, I, I am left with the melody. Right. And it's still a fairly nice melody, even when it is kind of slurred, eh, you you get her inflection, and her inflection has always, I guess, been her strength. Especially also in like the last, the 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 like the second chorus, you get a lot of overlapping in the background. I think people go to Rihanna for her harmonies, you know, and for also the harmonies in the background, which may be her doubling herself or maybe backing vocalist. It's just this kind of like elaborate R and B style of singing, which is tends to be very improvisational, especially in those moments. I think that's probably what people would go to this for, but I still kind of had to wait a little bit before that came out. So I don't know. This is kind of a weird it's kind of a middle ground. I see the appeal, but I don't think it would get me to buy an album because I've also heard a lot superior to this in the R&B feel. It's almost like my problem with some of these types of tracks is they're almost ubiquitously good. Ubiquitously good from the singing point of view. And that makes it so that some of them don't stand out to me in a crowd. I mean, I can see where you're coming from with that. Knowing her legacy of music and being familiar with her singles, this has the opposite effect that Pink's song did. Like, this would make me curious to buy this record because based on stuff I've heard her do previously, this seems different for her, and at least it has a different kind of tone going for it. So I'd yeah, be intrigued to see. Yeah, at least like the darker tone. Right, That's and so I'd be interested to see where this album is. So for me, it would convince me to buy it. So if this I is not the Joie de Vivre, this is the Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> right. I, I still would definitely not want to go full-fledged into this album, only because, yeah, it's a little bit different from her. I'll get I'll concede that because I can't argue it. But at the same time, it's not different from so much other stuff. Okay. Like, it, it has, like, a pan feel to it. So I, I don't see it actually sticking up from the crowd, like Steve said. From here we go to track eight, um, which is our first... Remix on the uh, on the top ten. It's Which I was surprised to see a remix. Right, a little bit surprised. Yeah. So it's called "I Took a Pill in Ibiza" and it's the Seeb mix, S E E B remix, and it, the artist is Mike Posner, P O S N E R. Um, it's not C B. It could be CB. I don't know. Um, So it should be noted that this is actually a a techno remix of a pretty much mostly acoustic track from Mike's album. It's also featured on his album. So we did listen to both versions just to kind of have an idea, but we're reviewing this version because it's on the top ten. 
the reverb in the vocals is ever present and that's one of the first things that just completely turned me off from this because it sounds like he's at the opposite end of a wind tunnel it's not the hard echo it's not it's not clipped it's not hearing words repeated but it's so drawn out and even metallic that i just i'm already going eh, no don't 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 do that slow it down a little bit get it a little more concise a little more clipped i has it's got a decent voice he's got a good yeah. voice it's just a little too fooled around with well i mean it's they the thing is, reverb is not really fooling around with it in a way. It's just kind of there in the background. It's just an overlay, and it makes things sound a lot vaster. Um, I have had a tendency to say the phrase, like, you know, uh, immersed in, in reverb or drenched in reverb before. I have to come up with new synonyms for immersion because when I found that I had to come up... I My first thought was deep fried in reverb <laughs> at this point just because there's so much of it. And yet, at the same time, there's a lot of fine edges that kind of pierce through. Like, the main chord strum here, I guess that would be just this, like, da 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 It's interesting, but it's also constant, but it's sharp. And because it's sharp, I guess it kind of pops through the mist a little bit. And I'll give it some credit for that. It's it's, it's very staccato, and the same thing goes, actually the same effect is kind of thrown onto this little thump uh, clap thing of the uh, in the rhythm section. So you have the chords doing that, and you also have the the percussion section doing that, and it's just pretty constant throughout the rest of the song. It's all in this kind of club sense. I don't know. Sure. I mean, that's built upon the original kind of strum sound of the original song that this is based on, but it feels a little sped up here, although the overall techno tone is on the slower side. This is what you'd call kind of a kind of slower groove for, for a techno song. It's I, I can not see, even kind of. It is a very slow groove. But, but, but that said, I can imagine people dancing to it, and as a dance song, it definitely fulfills its bass purpose, but I don't feel it does much beyond the bass purpose. I feel like Instrumentally, I'm kind of tuning it out because it sounds like everything I've been hearing since the '90s in techno. Like it, it's not doing anything new. Well, not techno. You you were you had you hit the nail on the head right there with the fact that it is a slower techno song because it's not too slow to be you know a little more soulful and drawn out and really get you into a nice sway groove. But it's definitely not fast enough for you to really just like go full force. It's in that mid ground that it's kind of a gray area as far as you know, club setting type dancing where tones like this would be ever present. It's in that gray area that you just can't quite move along to it either slow or fast enough. It's 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 playing a little bit hopscotch mm. with the beat itself. I don't know if that's the case. I think maybe uh, the reason why it's in a middle ground with me, just to show I'm, I'm also a little undecided on this, but I, I think the music, it, it's easily a club song. I don't think anyone would have a problem dancing to it. But maybe the one side effect is that they might be drawn in by his vocals. Because his vocals, in contrast, let's say, to the last track, here his vocals are very, very crisp. And I think that maybe you'd be trying to understand the story a little bit. Because um, I mean, there's actually a, a high quantity of lyrics here for a club song. If, right. if it is indeed a club song. I could easily see it used in the club, but I can't actually verify whether that's like, you know, the absolute point behind, you know, what the artist intended it for. Except for the fact that it's a remix, which implies that obviously, you know, it, it's closer to that than, say, the original. Right. Well, the fact that it is a remix, the fact that we heard the original, we know that the original version of the song was not intended to be a club song. True. It's much slower. It's much more kind of from the heart, folky kind of pop song. Well, then that's it. And that, all right, so that's it right there. Because of the original version, which you should touch on, it, 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 because it's so, so slow and so folky and so soulful, the lyrics make sense. The quantity of lyrics, because you're going to focus on a story amidst that backdrop. In this backdrop, I guess 
you could give it credit for, I guess, trying to, you know, many club songs have done so much more with less because in many ways that's what they have to do just to, I guess, keep people focused on dancing and not keep people focused on the lyrics. You could give it credit for trying to do all at once. But in this case, I know it was because we know there are two versions of it. We know it was just kind of an arbitrary choice. And I don't know why this particular song of all of them would reach out to Sieb as the candidate for remixing. And yeah, that's that's really the the probably the most curious part of this entire piece. I like the lyrics a lot. In fact, just to preview yeah. my rating on this one is the rating we're going. I like the original. I would go out of my way for that track and this song made me go Actually, my first my first reaction to it was, was the original so bad they actually included a remix on the album? Because it was on the same album. But the content is great. It doesn't really f- mesh with the setting of being a techno, more maybe even borderline trance uh, idea. I, I really went back and listened to the original and, and, and enjoyed it, but I did notice something. The vocals, besides the additional reverb effect, were sped up in a lot of places. And... That's why we really didn't get any of the message in a lot of the very pointed parts. Because even certain words just became a mishmash. It was, if we had mumbling in the previous track, this one, it, the just the proximity of the words being sped yeah, but, up became yeah. just difficult to understand that I misheard um, things that in the original are perfectly clear. I don't think I would have misheard it. I think it's just because your focus has shifted again. You might be focused more on the overall beat structure and then it takes you away of being able to process, you know, words fast enough. I I don't know if this is really going to be an issue for a lot of people, but let's just look at these lyrics for a minute because it, in some sense, all right, it's 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 dense here, so it makes me think that this is a message that he wants to get across, but at the same time, it's not a super depthy tale. I took a pill in Ibiza to show Avicii I was cool, and when I finally got sober, felt 10 years older, but fuck it, it was something to do. I'm living out in LA, I drive a sports car just to prove I'm a real big baller because I made a million dollars and I spend it on girls and shoes. Okay, uh, chorus, but you don't want to be high like me, never really knowing why like me. You don't ever want to step off that roller coaster and be all alone. You don't want to ride the bus like this, never knowing who to trust like this. You don't want to be stuck up on that stage singing, stuck up on that stage singing, all I know are sad songs, sad songs, darling, all I know are sad songs. So it kind of gets to his point eventually, but I tell you, in the beginning, I expected a, a more depthy tale than... All right, what do you do when you have a lot of money? You have problems having a lot of money, and that's going to take you away from the things that really matter in life, and you focus on the material. Like, it's been done. Sure. I mean, I don't I don't mind the framework of it here. I'd safely say, kind of wrapping up on this track, that the original, had I heard it first, would have actually made me invest in Mike's work. I feel like... Yeah, I like his vocals. I like, you know, I'm a sucker for a good heartfelt folk song. Presentation was excellent in the original, right. yeah. But this version, no interest. Just don't care. It just it completely disinterested me in it, and that's not common. A lot of remixes that we reviewed on the podcast that have been featured on albums, like the one that comes to mind is on Stereotypes. There's a remix of the song Magic as well as the original, and both had their points. Both were very good, and I liked them both. They both had their strengths. Here, 
I don't feel like this remix is doing it any justice, so I wouldn't invest in the album based on this song. And it's a sad and song. And I wouldn't invest, invest on this song, either. The context, I mean, we, we like to have, you know, ironic pieces that sound happy but are really depressing. And so, right. But the, the depressing song with the happy, energized context just does not work here no. at all. It's, it it's a mishmash. Uh, exactly. It's a mishmash, and it just really doesn't, doesn't really get me revved up for anything. Which is kind of my point. I mean, I feel that in many ways the overall backdrop of the song and how it kind of starts out sounding one of like the one of those don't focus on the material kind of tracks might obscure the the more concise message, which actually Matt put pretty well off air, and that was the um, do as I say and not as I do kind of track. Which is interesting because you don't often get that from artists. Usually it is just kind of them in their own own world trying not to really like impart a moral, but he actually says you don't want to ride the bus like this. You don't want to ever step off that roller coaster and be alone. It, these are the these are the problems that come from that. It's more of a direct moral, and I all of this would come across far better in the original version. I just I don't see the point of this particular version. Uh, since it sounds like we're trying to wrap up this track, I mean, it's it's weird because musically, I, I really just have the same comments. Like, the, the chorus is barely different in the second and third iteration. Uh, there's really no change in the chord progression. It's kind of the same critiques that I had in the first track. Um, it does add that club synth solo, but we've all heard that a million times since the 90s. So I really can't add anything in... I, I, trying my best to be objective and apply yeah. all those earlier statements. I can't I can't apply the, like, oh, there's genuine ingenuity here. I just don't believe it's there. <laughs> I would just refer people to listen to the original. Listen yeah, to the original. I mean, that's... I would just dump that towards them. So like, I, I, honestly, I'm curious about his newest album and possibly reviewing that on a whole based on us just dabbling with the original, but I didn't get that yeah. from this version. Also, the outro really draws on. So, yeah. all right, I think we're leaving this at the gate. Number seven. As we count down, this is what you came for. Rihanna's back. So this is and also Calvin Harris. So yeah, this is DJ Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna, who's doing the vocals for this song. And I, I just so this feels like a true tried and true DJ track. And the problem with that is like the the, the vocals are clearly pre-recorded and then mixed and remixed and mixed again. And though it sounds like there's more energy in Rihanna's voice here because she's singing more belty and passionately. Which, for the song design, makes sense. I just, I'm not invested. There's a detachment here, not intentional, based on how kind of robotic the mixing feels. The beat is a hammer, and it sees every measure as a nail. It's got to pound into the ground on schedule. And that is just so trying for this track to go from the thump, clap, thump, clap. Back and now there's forth. a little bit of a bump here, but actually the th- the thing is, it's really very similar, and this is purely accidental to the 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 last track. Maybe yeah. just a little bit more of a skip to it, just like one uh, and and a four, one uh, and and a four, and it's that for the entire the entire track. <laughs> I mean, so almost like, un unyieldingly. It's yeah. That. Um, it even has the 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 rat as we build up in the pre-chorus to the the chorus. I, I had, you know, it's funny, we were just talking about, like, 90s comparisons. It's almost more present here because of the fact that I was visualizing, like, the whole Night at the Roxbury sequence with uh, Catan and Chris Catan and Will Ferrell. I mean, it's, I, I feel myself doing that head-bobbing maneuver side to side in my head. And the same goes uh, for the choruses. Because the choruses, this is almost an exaggerated version of my problems with the first Rihanna track, and that was... 
I, I guess that how in the choruses they come across as a little bit dull, but at least that time you had the advantage of the affectation actually working toward the theme. Here, it's arbitrary. You, ooh, 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, it's just that. Yeah. I don't want to hear any more yous. Yeah. I really don't want to hear any more yous. I, I think and that was the first thing that would, like, this is the opposite of that, um, how repetition can work in, in your favor, and it can work to, to the advantage of the track sure. by actually getting it stuck in your head, and this is how, you know, these are the, whether it's a cheap trick or not, at least that will, you know, that's how, how pop songs do get stuck in our heads. That's how they become, well, hopefully not timeless, but at least, you know, the flavor of the month or the or the year. In this case, it's, it's a detriment. I don't I don't need this in my head, and it's very annoying by the time the track plays even once. Yeah, I mean, we've had DJ tracks even within the last year that, you know, feel more sing-songy and are absolutely catchy. I mean, think about Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson, which features Bruno Mars. Like that, he's mixing and he's editing that song, but more or less, it, it repeats in a way that's really catchy and gets stuck in your head. And he's well, not he's not interfering with Bruno Mars. He's just mixing up the track and, and, and putting up, you know, production spin on it that I feel like... You know, Calvin Harris here is kind of just trying to warp and change it, and it's not working to the advantage of the track. There is that repetition of it's a chorus, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, smaller bridge, chorus, chorus. Uh, there's there's not even a verse in this track. There is negligible content in this track, so you can pretty much disregard the words themselves. It's they're just there so that verse. Rihanna can sing words. Yeah. That's the only reason they're there. Lightning, this is what you came for. Lightning strikes every time she moves. And everybody's watching her, but she's looking at you. So, sex is going to happen. <laughs> That's what they're telling me here. She's hot, and she's looking at you. So I mean, you're going to get laid. I mean, it's not necessarily that clear and present. But it's, no, it is really clear and present right there. <laughs> Especially when the yous become more of a visceral moaning to counterpoint that. Uh, it's it, No, it, that's exactly what they're selling right here. There's no description, so you don't have to get tied down. Well, does she have brown eyes or blue eyes? Is she a redhead? Is she pale? Well, is she dark? You have no idea what she is but the ideal in person that you want to impart lust on that's it that's all that's going on right here and that level of content means you got to focus on the music because if the music is doing anything else at least you have something to latch on to well since you brought it up i'll give it that much over uh i took a pill in ibiza because after all in this track at least they're honest about that yeah. like if it's a club track then should it really be about anything I else mean, other than just raw attraction i mean it is it is very superficial i will absolutely give it that and and to to the the less detail than than, than john was giving i will actually say for sure that yeah there's no depth here it's it's this thing and that's it and there's not much more to it i mean honestly besides what we've all said already there's not that much beyond it it's this is a very <laughs> superficial track uh, in general and as far as i'm concerned whereas I, I think the reason i brought up uptown funk is because uptown funk is one of those songs that you cannot escape you know that is impossible to get away from and that interested me in mark ronson i almost brought him on the show because of it whereas this track like i have no desire to see what calvin harris does <laughs> like yeah. even with rihanna backing him up you know I like the Rihanna track that we talked about as, as the ninth track. I Just here, I don't care. I'm, I'm completely uninvested, and I wouldn't purchase anything oh, by no. this artist. This is episode 200 is breaking Crash Course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine right now. I really yeah, am fine. fine. I'm, in a, I'm in a rage zone after 
this, yeah. I do need to clarify an earlier point. I did say, uh, you know, this is in, compared to I took a pill in Ibiza. Uh, I didn't mean in terms of theme. Obviously, that didn't have to do with sure. it. But I mean in terms of music. Like, yeah, they yeah. both have the the club set up in a sense. And sure. in, that, like, in that sense, they tried to infuse a story there in this case there this is what i expect from a club track and that they keep it simple straight and forward and you know you even <laughs> it does if just a, as much if not less it, who knows maybe you wouldn't notice it as being that annoying if you're on the dance floor because yeah, at least this be one true. at least this one would probably only be useful in that environment i can't this doesn't have headphone value no i agree absolutely um, so yeah, I won't even go through my list. It seems like it failed <laughs> on all counts. Oh, oh so you're saying you wouldn't buy this? <laughs> nah, nah, nah okay. it has to sell well. Maybe in the year in review. Hold on, uh, I'll sit with it for a while. Right, sure. Okay, well, let's go on to track six or nest <laughs> number six as yeah. we count down. Right. So as we count down, number six, seven years, which kind of worked out nice actually. Seven um, years. It would have been better if it was seven. Um, actually, but, it would have been better if it was a little bit higher up on the <laughs> list. Honestly, seven years is. Uh, after so this is by Lucas after, Graham. Let's throw that in there before we start talking about it. A uh, self-titled well, album. Yeah, it's 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 a breath of air. It oh, is God, a yeah. breather after so much club scene type of an idea in this album. This is acoustic. It, it starts with a yes. beautiful legitimately piano. legitimately acoustic. It starts with a beautiful piano intro that, you know... Almost mm, I won't say beautiful. It was enticing. It was forgiving. It okay. was inviting. It wasn't you, it, it wasn't anything grand or anything like that, but it was paired with something... Okay, should I that, use pretty instead? Yes, actually, right. that's really what it was at the end of the day. Yeah. Just pretty. It was. It was paired with something that I actually did like, and that was the projector reel. So it sounded like a projector reel running, and also we hear, heard these pian- thumb piano tones that are very common in, you know, music boxes, especially older music boxes. Ch- very much sounds piano, like, yeah. like a, a music box. It, it's very nostalgic. And his voice, this kind of raspy, kind of warm voice, is very inviting. It gives this narrative feel to the track from the moment it starts. And it's actually paired up very well with the story that's going on mm-hmm. right here. It starts off in that childish, tinny, in-the-bedroom-of-the-kid kind of piano work, and it builds up and builds up, and the story starts at 7, and then 11, and then 20, and then the future. And I like the way this song actually flows, because it starts slow, it ends sweet, almost bittersweet, and the story does traverse a nice rise and a nice drop-off. Not a drop-off in the way where it hits a crescendo and you start all over. Yeah, it winds itself down. So it's, it's fitting for the symbolism of just, you know, going from childhood through adulthood through old age and you know, reflecting upon your life and thinking to yourself, well, am I going to be all alone? Is the world going to be cold? Or am I going to have children that love me? And pairing it with the same sort of childlike, almost desolation in this case, was was really fitting for the message. And I I like the artistic idea behind that. Yeah, and I actually kind of took it, just going along with what you're saying, I I took it as like a modern version of when I'm 64. You know, there's a lot of interconnectivity here, and Mm -hmm. a lot of the morals that he was taught earlier on, trying to apply them later, trying to wonder where he'll be in life, and which is why I, at this point, I want to go back to like one of the first things that we mentioned, and that was that slide machine, the uh, either a slide machine or an old an old film reel. And I found it kind of funny that he used that at first, because of course you have to consider that despite the fact that he goes through all these ages, an easy Google search will tell you the age of the artist. He's my age, you know. He's uh, he's he's 28 years old, right? I just gave my age away in the podcast. I can't believe I did. <clears throat> now they can figure out your social security number. I know. Yeah. But the point is. I found it funny that he went back to a slide machine because it's like, that's not exactly, Modern. you know, like, he's not, you know, born in the 40s, exactly, yeah. like, or, or a film reel. Like, what was his first, uh, 
how old could he have been? What were they using when he was seven years old, for instance? Like a first-generation digital camera? Yeah, but also... <laughs> but also you don't get counter- faded photographs from but that. But also to counterpoint that, and the reason why I think it works here is because it's a more familiar sound to people who, you know, on a very kind of broad-scale version of the I agree. Time. I agree. And you wouldn't get the same effect. It would sound pretty corny if you actually used the little, like, beep-boops that the yeah. first-generation well, digital also, camera can. It's something a little bit further I'm than that. I'm exaggerating. It was not when he was seven. It, it promotes the idea of... Of recordings, it's it's memory. Yeah. He's yeah. walking down memory lane right here. Even if the future memories he's trying to make right here, it is like the recording of his life. I mean, it's that kind of a statement. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, well. I'll swing it around positively too. I mean, that was just kind of like a little moment of snickering in the beginning when he started to go through the lyrics. But then he, he really integrates that soundbite quite well. I noticed that it continues throughout all of his uh, the year the the ages that are younger than what he currently is, and then the second he he drops the age. Soon we're going to be 30. Now he's talking about the future mm-hmm. and the reel turns off. Yeah. Because it's not needed anymore. Right. That's the world. He's not reflecting. Done looking he's through looking the picture to the future. We're going forward. Yeah. So, all right. There's a lot of little clever things, even though it's, a, it's one of those, like, it binds everyone together, makes them think about their own life. So this does have points for the cheap shots, but it gets points for using it cleverly. In yeah. other words, it is a sly and probably a very tasteful route to the top. Sure. Because it did make it, you know, to number six song. And really, I think it's pretty neat that amidst all of these club tracks, because we should have known that even going into this, we were going to get so many club tracks because they're, they're just the songs that sell really, yeah. really high. But at least we get one of these. One that if everyone is is thinking about this, thinking about seven years and thinking about them, their, their own life, you know, that's probably a good thing that he imparted to the world. Well, and also the self-reflection here really does feel like it's coming from the heart. Like, you get a sense of warmth, besides just his voice and the instrumentation, it just, it does feel very close to the chest, and I like that. He feels like he's, I feel like he's opening up about himself, and then kind of being almost like a soothsayer for his own life, you know, kind of trying yeah. to tell the future. And, and you know, whether, and, and the future is kind of fractured. Like, he's not sure if he'll have a family, if he'll grow old with family around him, or if he'll be alone. And, you know, it all circles back at the end to his mom telling him when he was seven that he should go out and make friends because otherwise he'll be alone. And right. it's just... It, it, and the real comes con- back. I it, like that too. That's it, a, that's the perfect little it, touch it needed. It's mm-hmm. kind of bittersweet. Uh, that let's, said, let's read. Let's read the future portions here because yeah. they seem to be the, the the crux of this. Soon we'll be thirty years old. Our songs have been sold. We've traveled around the world and we're still roaming. Soon we'll be thirty years old. I also like that kind of like just the, the ABA of that. You know, it's it's like. Like it, like in haiku format, it just repeats the very first line. Soon we'll be thirty years old is the mantra. I'm still learning about life. My woman brought children for me, so I can sing them all my songs and I can tell them stories. Most of my boys are with me. Some are still out seeking glory, and some I had to leave behind. My brother, I'm still sorry. Soon I'll be sixty years old. My daddy got sixty-one. Remember life, and then your life becomes a better one? I made a man so happy when I wrote a letter once. I hope my children come and visit once or twice a month. See, this is the part that really is like when I'm 64. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the hope. It's the hope because re- relating all the way back to those initial morals and how, yeah. I guess, kind of emphasizing how, how crucial it is to really teach those morals at a very, very young age because they do come back to you in some way. Which is what he's talking about when he refers to what his mom you pass or it dad to your own been telling them, and yeah. now, Ideally, you'll follow through on that when you're older. But that said, it, this song's not much more complicated than like other hits along these veins meant to tug at your heartstrings. Like, 
the first one that comes to mind was the one that was ubiquitous when I was uh, in high school, college. Was Hey There, Delilah, Plain White Tees. It was like everybody who. But that had a one radio. was more. That was very but much it's, more. But it's meant to do the same exact thing. Sure. Like just be like, oh, here's some feels. I understand the feels here are actually better. Well, and also it's designed a little bit better, a little more interesting. But I wouldn't count it much further than than just like a basic, very ubiquitous. Because everybody can put themselves within that idea of getting older, and and that's why I was kind of a pessimist when I started listening to this song. I may be warming up to it a little bit, but at least I'm glad you're seeing that point of view. Like there is something a little bit. Uh, I don't want to be so harsh as to say cheap about it because yeah, I do believe cheap. these are good messages and I think if you can tell them, especially at the grand scale that is the top 10 at the top 100 of that week, um, you should absolutely do it. And to some extent, I do think that simplicity really, really does work and that's what people will relate to most. Um, but maybe that's the problem is because I don't think it pushes people beyond digesting simple messages. And that's the thing that I think I tend to respect a little more in music is I like things that make people think a little bit. This is kind of just spoon feeding it. Like these are things you probably should know anyway. And if you get this, it's like a little dose of, of reflection, but there's not, it's not really adding anything, not adding any spice to the mix. Yeah, it's 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 also, in my opinion, uh, somewhat replaceable. Because just to go back to, like, Plain White Tees and Hey There, Delilah, before that there was stuff like You're Beautiful, and then before that there was The Scientist. And when you look from one to the next to the next to the next, in this progression of the heartstring song of you know, June or July or whatever, because there's always that summer song and there's always those songs that for the year fulfill that role at the specific time and sell great at that time. So they're popular and they're all over the radio. And this is one of those clear cut, like it was probably released at the perfect moment to make this list in many ways because it there was going to be a vacancy. There was going to be, you know, that, that touching summer love song needed for June. Yeah, but that said, I for me, the reason I think I like it so much is because I connected with it. All of that stuff is true. But that's the all whole thing. All they are completely connectable, and I'll definitely right. agree with that. And so while all of the things you guys said are true, it kind of washes past me because on the whole, I still connected with it, and I enjoyed it. And so as a whole, this song did what it was supposed to. It sold me on Lucas Graham. It sold me on what the album could be, and I would go pursue it based on this track. Well, let me also pursue the the music train of thought here, because that's something that also is kind of doing what it needs to do. I admit I liked it in the beginning, and it does have a round to it, which is necessary to fill. This is the artistic defense that we always have, where it's like, it doesn't really, it doesn't expand beyond itself, except within a few places, and I do want to note those right now. For instance, there is this tendency, right around the second verse, here, the strings really start to, to bellow and build up to the to the moment in which the second verse starts, at which point the drums and the piano are a lot more dominant. And it, it, I think it swells a few times, but otherwise, there is kind of a cyclical nature to all of it, which, again, reflects the theme very, very well, and also reflects the music box motif, because the music box is typically on a spindle, and it does kind of keep you in a, in a childhood uh, frame of mind. I think also it takes you down the route of, I guess probably mo- most children had music boxes, or at least maybe played a music box. Or for some a reason, jack in the box, yeah. You had a jack in the box? Yeah, well, that's a little different. Da, 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 da. Well, if you didn't put the jack back in there, it was it, you could just keep spinning it. That's creepy. That. Yeah, a little it's, bit. It's creepier, especially once you see the Twilight Zone. But um, <laughs> there is, I, I remember I had like this, this uh, speaking of creepy, I had a, a music box of a clown. 
and it played Send in the Clowns. Of course it did. But it was a really like slow version of Send in the Clowns, and just with the little bells and the chimes. I remember like almost being in tears when I was like three years old to that song. I almost didn't like it because it sent it sent me down like a dark spiral for a three year old, right? But I do like it in retrospect, and I think that's what this is designed to do. So uh, I guess I've kind of started this point and came around to it okay. because of the fact I think the music is doing exactly what it needs to do, and I don't think I really have any criticisms there. So, yeah, I guess uh, after the fact, I got a little emotional. It is beautiful. I guess it's got points. It's probably going to be one of our top of this uh, selection. Yeah, and I, it, it, like Matt said, it does let me you know, want to take a closer look at the artist itself. And I know next year I'll get another one of these songs and I'll do the same thing. <laughs> if, Last thing? If nothing else, at least it's doing that. Last thing, love his vocals here. Yeah. Not yeah. just the words, because I noticed we didn't really mention his vocals at all, but he has a very interesting cadence when he sings. For instance, the way he like kind of just like mutes one little word and then just bounces back up again. Like, once I was seven years old, my mama told me. See, he mutes that word my, and he does that in each and every return here. Once I was 20 years old, my story got told. It's, it's, it's playful. It's like he's skipping around it's through the nice story of his like- life. It's 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 the high dive. He dives off of it back into the story itself, and it's a nice little texture added on top of the song. All right, so we uh, we revealed some layers there. I keep wanting to say track five. It's right, track so five. It's the fifth song, number five on the top. Ten, ten of, of the top one hundred of the week of June twenty fifth, twenty sixteen. Top ten percent. So there this is this song is by Fifth Harmony, and it's featuring T Y dollar sign, and sign is spelled with a dollar sign. Of course, you know why not? why not? From the album Seven Twenty Seven Deluxe. So this song, from the moment it starts, it's one of those pop songs that immediately feels so like saccharine, sweet, and pop that it gives you a mouthful of rotting teeth. It's mm, like I didn't get that. That really? was my that was my gut reaction. My gut reaction was turn the auto tuner off. <laughs> well and then start saying something because it was very easy to follow along with the lyrics. They're sure. completely useless. They sure. don't say anything. Yeah. I ain't worried about nothing. I ain't wearing nada nada. I'm sitting pretty impatient but you gotta put in the hours, I'm gonna make it hotter. I'm sending pick after picture, I'm gonna get you fired. Okay, so you're telling me you're actually not doing anything except lazing about and sexting someone. And then and then we get to the chorus. I like it when the chorus shows up because then it just, I don't even have to try to make a point. You don't got to go to work, 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 work. Ugh. But you got to put in work, 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 work. You don't got to go to work, 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 work. And the reason why I'm kicking my voice down is because there's absolutely no change in inflection. And that's infuriating, infuriating in this track. I mean, I I wasn't so infuriated by the courses, but they definitely didn't do anything, really. I kind of toned out the repetition and let it bleed into the instrumentation, the synth work and the, the, the beat. And, you know, the wubs kind of kind of take a tighter grip in the choruses, so I kind of focused on that for better or worse. Let's focus on the work, work, work. Uh, <laughs> I know you don't want to, but... Uh, it makes it, up half the song. It's the, el- it's the elephant in no, the room here. No, I mean, right. I, I wasn't going to use this comparison, but it brought me back to a couple of other tracks that use repetitive phrases to their advantage? Question mark? I mean, I certainly have to say it's probably the reason they got just as popular. One was that song, uh, WAP, by J-Dash, which I actually, uh, I showed these two guys beforehand. You had never heard WAP? No. And no, I wish I, I never did. Wah, Actually, wah, it's, wah, wah, it's, it's, wah, wah. 
it's not just that. It's the it's the like weird stuff that happens directly before it, where it's like True. throwing up sounds. Yeah, this is this is better than that. This yeah, is better than the, that. The whining. The, oh god, it's I don't know honestly because of the fact that they like kind of messed with the beat a little bit there. I mean, I, this is such a stupid comparison to make, but yes. only because of the fact that it is like the repetitive phrases that mean absolutely nothing here, and it doesn't really add anything to the song no. by repeating this word. You don't gotta go to work work, 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 work but you gotta put in work, work, work. Yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't add anything no, at yeah. all. It's not like, I mean I guess Well, also the song. It makes a 9 to 5 or think about his job. <laughs> so all this, all this, all of this mixed in with the kind of weird snapping, clicking and xylophone sound bites they're throwing in. It's just, it feels like a mishmash of stuff and what's even worse is that this is the first pop song where we are legit getting a featured artist doing a cliche and terrible rap interlude that is unnecessary. We, we've talked at length about this in previous tracks, and I'm not familiar with T.Y. Dolla Sign's breadth of work, so maybe he's a better rapper on his stuff. Who the hell knows? All I know is here, it's, it just it doesn't add anything to the song. It's not engaging. It's not really particularly impressively done. And so it feels kind of just pointless, like the chorus. Well, let's also talk about the obvious, which is the comparison. I mean, John mentioned earlier, it's kind of like sexting, and it's simply comparing work to, you know, getting it on. Yeah. Um, it's not and just, then it's, she says, we can work that. from yeah. home. That's the big the big conclusion to this, yeah. is we can work from home. No, well, it's what a, does that mean? It's women objectifying themselves in this. And I just... I just I can't stand messages like that. I mean, you can start from the rap itself. Girl, go to work for me. Can you make it clap no hands for me? Take it to the ground, pick it up for me. Look back at it all over me. I mean, he's literally giving commands of how to strip for him. Like, he's he's telling her exactly what to do. And then the... the nope, 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 nope. I'm going to finish this. All right? The pre-course... You know you're always on the night shift, but I can't stand these nights alone. And I don't need no explanation, because baby, you're the boss at home. And then the crux of the course. We can work from home, oh, 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 oh. That's their work. Their work is servicing their man. And that is a freaking terrible idea. Oh, That's a terrible idea. No, that, le- that leap at the end that you're making, I think, is a little bit far. What other work from home are they even talking about? No, no, but, about? No, but that, one argument work against from it. home is just the metaphor for sex. They're not saying yeah. replace your work and your livelihood No, with no, sex. they said you don't got to go to work. You have to work at home. That's your job. That's what they're talking about yeah, but, right it, but, it, but, but so you don't, I agree two that... two separate things. You don't... No, it's the chorus. You don't got to go to work, but you got to put in work. We can work from home. That's that's without repetition. That's the chorus. So, so I will agree that there's a note of objectification in the rap verse. However, the chorus is literally mutual. Let's fuck like it's work. No, there is nothing mutual. I don't have to. Here, here. This is what they're saying. I don't have to work outside the house. I have to work at home. We get to work from home, and everything associated with the word work in this song is sex. Yes, that's the but that's the metaphor that he established yeah. in his mind. All right, wait, hold on a second. Let me get this out straight. I have no particular reason to defend this song. Sure. Right, this song is utter crap, and that that rap is just. I mean, I don't. We're I, in I, we, I had we had discussions like even going back to you know I think the Beyonce album where I just sometimes when just in entire like lyrics kind of uncleverly just like describe sex, then it's just a little weird, and I'm just like ah come on. At least if you're clever with it, then all right we have we have something. But there's nothing clever here. But specifically to the point of objectification, I don't think that that is going on right now. Uh, you say you don't gotta go to work, or specifically she's saying you don't gotta go to work, and you're saying she's telling other women. 
women that you don't gotta go to work and you have to stay home and I guess service your man. That's that's yeah. your takeaway here. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that in general, first of all, courses I don't think are meant to be taken terribly seriously, and I think it's in general just trying to in his in in the weird way here because I guess he's kind of I guess since he's singing the rap later he's really putting in the message it's she's just kind of an echo for that message i i, I don't know 100 percent, but i do think it's his weird way of being romantic and then the echo is there telling i guess other women you know i sometimes you got to put in work in the relationship which sometimes means i guess getting it on in bed i don't know i don't think it's objectification i don't think i would go that far here but I guess we just have a different take on it. I wouldn't listen to the song anyway, so I would just tell people don't listen to it, and then you won't even run the chance of, you know, having yourself be offended. Because musically, it's, it's crap. No, I mean... I don't often say that on this podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, this this song isn't really serving any purpose other than to try and be catchy, and it's not even really that. I think that, for sure, the messaging at at best is gray and not useful. So... You know, from one extreme to the other, either way, the song doesn't really serve a purpose. I think it's, from I the beginning, it is just put in them hours. In other words, sometimes sex is a cornerstone of the relationship. I know that is like a real Dr. Phil way of saying what this song just kind of strains to get across, but I believe that's it. Right. I mean, it sounds like what they're trying to deliver is a mutual love and appreciation and sex. The sex is mutual. It's not forced. It's not yeah. only one side. Don't put your job above, you know, like, like it's not terrible messages, but it's, it's also just, not like, you it's, know, it, it's I not think, an essay worth reading. I think at this point it's safe to say I would not buy anything by the either artist featured in this track, both Fifth Harmony or T.Y. Dollar yeah. Sign. So. And then also one last note on this, the fact that the rap solo eventually comes later. This is your classic courtesy rap solo that I foreshadowed earlier. Right. Um, and it does kind of feel out of place. It always does. It well, always has felt out of place. Well, and what's more useless is John showed us. In the bridge, us, when it's in the bridge. And what's more useless is John showed us is that he rhymes the same word at the end of every phrase, which anytime anyone does that in rap is completely useless. Several times with Several times saying me. Yeah. That's about the only thing. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. All right. Let's move on from this nightmare to the next track, which is the fourth placement on this top ten, and it's Don't Let Me Down by the Chainsmokers featuring Daya. D-A-Y-A. -A. Um, so this song starts with very bright guitar work and you get Daya's vocals pretty quickly, and I really love her vocals here. She's got this beautiful kind of sweet voice, and you know, I'm really invested from the moment it starts, and it it rings of a lot of kind of pop folky songs. It doesn't sound too unfamiliar from some of the Walk Off the Earth stuff we've heard, you know. Yeah, and I like their little like short electric guitar, kind of very just clipped little little dots. It's interesting. I, I, I guess there's something a little bit more alluring to the beginning of this track, but it doesn't really go anywhere at all. This is one of those other pre-chorus tracks where we have to just build up and finally we drop the bass. Actually, that dropping was really jarring. It was... Like, it still no, what the intro was. All right, it was kind yeah, of Mumford. Excuse me. Excuse Mumford. me. We don't, drop, we don't drop the bass. We drop the sax. <laughs> yeah. Is it because Mumfordian? It, Can I use Mumfordian? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. In, 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 for the duration of that pre-chorus, yeah. it did kind of have a little Mumford feel because it does have kind of... It's, it's not as even as I just made it out to be. Excuse mm -hmm. me. It has a little bit more of a skip in it, kind of like the sort of heavy... Uh, folk drum material that Mumford and Sons used to do. So just imagine the feel of Mumford and Sons followed by a Middle Eastern saxophone solo, because that's kind of what this is. Yeah. It's like maybe I liked it 
briefly, just briefly for it being different, but I knew that I didn't like it also because it was so divorced from the track. But maybe for purely exotic reasons, you're not, and I don't mean exotic as in like, oh, it's a foreign country feel in the scale, but I mean exotic compared to the general instrumentation. It felt like a breath of fresh air because it's like a new instrument. You know, we, after so many club songs, I'm kind of happy to just hear a new instrument. I mean, it I still was abs- absolutely just to stress. It's like that grinding moment in the middle of the dance floor, which feels so weird considering that the, the song leading up to that didn't feel like it would be on a dance floor at all. It, it feels completely divorced. And uh, again, I'm kind of in the same place Steve was. Like, I don't know that I actually hate the divorced <coughs> transition. I just yeah. don't like it in this song. It I wanted be... more of Daya singing beautifully, maybe building up, going into a guitar breakdown, maybe rocking out a bit. It but just seems useful just... for a separate R&B track, I guess. Yeah. You yeah. know, but the rest of the song isn't really that R&B. No. It was, it, I, I feel like it was just like one of those decisions of let's do something to wake up the crowd. Sure. Because we're not Mumford and Son, no, we're doing something different. So they felt like they were different for difference's sake. Well, I mean, I'm guessing that like... the Chainsmokers are a DJ group as well. That's the impression I'm getting here with the way that's mixed and, you know, Daya coming in and singing over and there's no other vocals. And so... Yeah, it actually speaks to the lyrics that they're probably a DJ-oriented because there's just a lot of repetition back and forth between very... Very safe lines. I need you. I need you. I need you right now. Yeah, I need you right now. So don't let me. Don't let me. Don't let me down. I think I'm losing my mind now. It's in my head, Daryl, and I hope that you'll be here when I need you the most. So don't let me. Don't let me. Don't let me down. Don't let me down. <laughs> I mean, you know, the repetitive that's nature. Ev- that's everything, by the way. Yes, the, the repetitive nature. I don't. I, like I said, I didn't mind as much because I was really kind of sweet on her li- on her vocals. And the delivery of it. It's just, yes, once we get to that moment where the whole song shifts. And also, speaking beyond that, pretty much from what Steve started saying to what I'm saying now, that's the song. We don't really get much more than that. There's not a lot of innovation. It repeats on itself a bunch. Um, You know, there's not much more detail. The the guitar work is, is, is bright, like I said, but it's not intricate. It's not unique. It's not something we haven't heard before. Her vocals... Are, are pretty, but they're not also... She's not singing in a style that we've not heard before, you know? Structurally, it's very brief verse, chorus, repeat, uh, you know, sax moment, repeat. That's really it. Here's a little... This is not a minor point, because I think I, 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 I have a general critique of songs that are structured this way lyrically, where the message can be easily blurred be- between either, number one, a booty call, right, or number two, maybe genuinely wanting fulfillment in your life. right. And because the lyrics are so unspecific, and just using general phrase, like, I call your name, but you're not around, you need <coughs> you right now, don't let me down, um, like, you could go either way with it, and I think that's intentional. Sure. Because that way, you don't, like... Don't make people care too much, because then it'll take people away from the overall just, you know, zone your mind out to it nature of the track, right? right? But also don't make it a little, don't make it too raunchy in the process, because then it takes away the possibility that someone might feel a little something for it. You just walk that middle ground, make really, really boring lyrics, and uh, apparently that lands you in the top ten. Yeah, because there's no commitment towards one or the other, it it's very... It's very safe. Yeah. She's it's losing her mind right now. That could mean anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, losing her mind. She's... Going going back to uh, Mumford and Son because it does remind me a lot of that. The the chord progression even feels very similar. Yeah. When you have something like the cave, because that's the first thing that came to mind. The first lines of the cave are better than like the entirety of this 
track because sure. they're provocative and evocative. They're t- painting a picture because they are committed. This non-committal stance. This you don't want to you don't want to alienate anyone. So you say absolutely nothing. That's that's just being a wuss about it. That's just being indecisive, and indecisiveness never wins any awards, or at least it shouldn't, really. I guess. I, 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 I will take the devil's advocate side of it, is that it's more relatable because it's so nebulous and vague. But I don't want to keep repeating the words like ubiquitous, sure, and that's sure. what this is, ubiquitous. And I get that. Um, again, I think this song, for me, personally, to kind of wrap up on this song, because I feel us already kind of repeating ourselves, <coughs> is... It made me interested in Daya. I would definitely go check out her works and possibly purchase some stuff, but I don't care about the Chainsmokers. I feel like the, all the stuff they contributed Honestly, to this track, I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't make me go after them. I wouldn't do a blind buy, but I actually would want to know if this kind of two different ideas put together... It's something was, they do regularly. Was something they do regularly, and if so, do they do it better? Sure. Because it, this is a it's single. A fair point. This is a single... So it's supposed to be ubiquitous in a lot of ways. I'm going to use that word a lot because somebody brought it up earlier. So it's supposed to Me. be safe. It's supposed to be reaching everybody. It's the entry and, point. Yeah, noncommittal. My, com- my complaint is exactly what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But that said, maybe there are deeper tracks that do have this, you know, folk meets something new idea to it. So that at least gets me curious about it. I get, the only point I'll give it is that, you know, if, if the thing that's bothering me is the little split between the, the possibility of whether this is, you know, one or the other, uh, booty call or, or emotional, you know, pouring your heart out. The funny thing is that the music actually, the disparity of the music would kind of reveal that a little bit. Like, when it goes into that, like, Middle Eastern sax solo, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit more sexualized there. There, and, and that's amidst not really any lyrics for a little while. It actually, they kind of milked that. and That's why I guess if I was going to pick a part of this track that I really, really liked that I would probably go back to, it would be just those little segments. Ironically enough, it did get some points for me, but is it innovative? Uh, no. Does it have any ingenuity? No. Like, uh, I don't know. It sounded like a thing I heard before, and then it changed it up. That's an, that's that's ingenious, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting very disheartened by this. And now for the top three. Third on our list, Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake from the DreamWorks animation Trolls. Now, I want to point out that we've actually mentioned Justin quite a bit on this podcast in episodes past, and we've always been kind of favorable to him because it's Justin Timberlake. Most people were actually kind of wrong about him when he was, you know, back in that group that shall not be named. Um, Harry Potter reference <laughs> and, you know, 90s reference. But he kind of burgeoned into this singer-songwriter, and I think that might be a key to what we kind of saw in him. He's a songwriter. Here, this is a little bit different because this was specifically made to, to be paired with Trolls, just like the pink track was meant to be paired with Alice Through the Looking Glass. And also, it's reminiscent of when we tackled uh, Happy by Pharrell, which was on his album, but also made for Despicable Me 2, which was also a, a DreamWorks movie. I'll tell you something. Uh, the very last lyric of the last track, Don't Let Me Down, was very much on my mind <coughs> when I arrived at this track. Sure, of course. Because I was... We have expectations. I, 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 wanted, I was just wanted to shake JT to say, hey... Don't no, let me down. No. Yeah, save this experience. JT, you're, 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 oh, that's you're, just the, that's the people call. I don't know. people, yeah. people. You know, people. people. Oh, people. Everyone around. I, I'm sure many people call him Mr. Timberlake. Yeah, that's yeah. probably also true. I, I actually doubt that. So um, anyway, getting to the 
point I think that Steve's making, and I agree. All is right, I was my looking... point is the the respect that I have for him is yeah. through the roof at the moment yeah. because, as far as I'm concerned, he saved this experience. Uh, all right, I went on my rant. I think about funk in the beginning, not actually because of this track, but I got to actually talk about funk because he throws it in here and he has such a propensity for funk he's done it before in several other uh in his own tracks and also in collaborations and i love it i love every part of it because it just caters to pop so well because it does kind of dispense with the bullshit a little bit and it just says what is it for it's for dancing yeah it's for moving it's really a lot more about the music than the lyrics because even the lyrics here are all about Dancing. It kind of takes me back to that Daft Punk album because even then it was all just about kind of creating beats and creating things that are easy to groove along to. And that's and uh, Pharrell came in for a song on that album, and it takes me back to that mindset. And this is even funkier than some of the stuff off of that album. Ah, geez, there. I don't even know where to begin here. First of all, the the first verse. It's actually pretty even. It started off not being, like, revolutionary in any sense. It's actually kind of thinner than many other tracks here, but his vocals take over, and you realize, all right, it's Justin Timberlake, and you're, you're, you've at least got his kind of smooth, easygoing vocals to, to latch on to. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. All through my city, all through my home, we're flying, no ceiling, when we're in our home. Um, and the, the chords amidst this... They're not crazy, like C major, A minor, F major, and then come back to A minor. But then the texture comes in to really, really save this. It really brings it in. My favorite line. I got that sunshine in my pocket, which is like the most... soul in my feet. It's the most Disney thing you could possibly say in your entire life, and it's just so perfect. It puts a giant smile on your face because this is where the funk kicks in. This is where the bass is all out. And again, production values, and it really helps as we're getting to the top of the list here. I'm, I tend to think that maybe, you know, the production values were a little bit higher. It's really well mixed. It's a really great uh, session musician, whoever it was playing the, the bass here. And it's just, it's irresistible. Uh-huh. Um, I know I'm not doing great because remember what I said in the beginning, it's hard to explain why I like funk. I just wanted to listen to the song right now, even talking about it. And then the pre-chorus. The pre-chorus comes in. It's what I'm going to call the pre-chorus, at least. You look under different sources, they'll just call it the chorus because, of course, it is usually the same lyrics. But this is where he takes a different turn. Things start to kind of go a little more 70s. And you might think, well, that's not hard to believe, right? That's where funk originated, practically. Like... But in a different way, more in like the interlude in, you know, a variety show or something like sure. that, or like the interlude in a jazz sequence. It starts getting a little more jazzy, and the chords really do change here. They evolve, start adding those uh, those those upper partials in here. Really, really great stuff until finally that last line. Let me read the full thing, though. And under the lights, when everything goes, nowhere to hide when I'm getting you close. When we move, well, you already know, so just imagine, just imagine, just imagine. And that line right there, yeah. he really really reaches up into those upper partials, building out the scale because you hear the echo, one one falsetto overtaking the other. So just imagine, just imagine, just imagine, and then we drop right into the proper chorus. Nothing I can see but you when you dance, dance, dance. Feeling good, good, creeping up on you. So just dance, 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 come on. Now some people might be thinking like, really? You're, 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 these lyrics are like a perk for you? They are because they're not the point. I don't think about them, I just think about everything else going on well, in the background. Also- 
well, so yeah. I prefer this. I really do. He's he's driving home the purpose of the song, both musically and lyrically, very clearly and concisely. And the transitions, like you were talking about before, are absolutely flawless in this song because they he just naturally evolves the song to the moments he wants you to feel, and it feels like it should when you're dancing to this song. And it wins uh, in terms of form as well yeah. because of what I started to explain before and how the beginning of what is termed the chorus on many sites I kind of see as a secondary pre-chorus. Kind of like you have a pre-chorus one and that's the funk section mm -hmm. and then a pre-chorus two. Or maybe you consider that like a second half of the verse. Either way, it's a, it's a stepwise escalation that each and every time I don't expect that they're going to overtake it. Yeah. I would have kind of been happy or, well, okay with the first verse. I would have definitely been happy with pre-chorus one, right? But... I was mind blown by pre-chorus two, and then the drop that you get in the in the proper chorus is just like, yeah, I really don't want to leave the dance floor. As he yeah. says, ain't nobody leaving soon. Why would you? Why should you? This should keep you moving. Yeah, it, it's one of those songs that's absolutely just fulfilling its purpose, but it's not just doing that. It's going beyond that, and it really pulls you in. It's in, it, it it's. You know, a lot of people like to throw around the word infectious for pop songs that get stuck in your head, but this absolutely is one. Like, yeah. like Steve was you saying, when he started describing it, I'm starting to hear it in my head already, mm -hmm. and I want to go back and listen to it. It's, yep. a, it's a pure distillation of, like, happiness yeah. in drug form at this moment. That's why I compared it, it to Happy Earlier. It's, it's not just, like, the funk, the jazziness, the upbeat. It's the fact that he's really just using his voice so well that like like Steve said you don't really have to pay attention to the lyrics but the vocals his vocals are just oh, another instrument that does an excellent job of just promoting everything else that's going on right there i i i I rarely like happy, happy songs, but this is just one of those songs that is designed perfectly to really get you moving and grooving. Yeah. I definitely feel the, the, the Disney in the line, uh, I got that sunshine in my pocket now that you mentioned it. Movie, like so it's for a kid's movie, so it And he sets, that line sets the bar really high. Sunshine yeah. in your pocket. Yeah. I see skies of blue. There's no purer happiness than that. I mean, really. Like, can what we else uh, can we use joie de vivre? <laughs> I, I suppose. I mean, for me, honestly, it's the essence of joie de vivre. This track, would I buy the soundtrack? Probably not. But I would absolutely buy this single. Absolutely, I have no problem throwing a dollar at this because I would yep. listen to it all the time. Absolutely. I would. I would love to like hear this on a rest of a Justin album in the same yeah. vein. But then again, I well, I'm not really thoroughly into into his music I always at least peruse his new albums sure. and this is another one of those I kind of forgot about him for a long time because you don't I don't go to Billboard to get the music that right. I bring on this show I go to the websites with under 100,000 hits I yeah. go for those kind of places Yeah, but it makes me want a, a, a Justin album to actually review on the show more yeah. than just I want to listen to it I want to talk about it because this is this just exemplifies everything I want pop to do sure. in in this day and age. Uh, yeah, and honestly it's it's that's the whole thing is like with pop for me, I imagine mostly when you play pop on the radio, you're, the goal there is to it's try to, it's safe and it should pri probably try to grab in most people. You want to get that toes be, tapping. That's yeah, what you want to do. That would be a successful radio or tears. play. Tears or toe tapping. That's tears or toe tapping. And and the problem with me and most pop radio stations is that usually I just want to turn it off. So in other words, it's not usually succeeding with me, except when it's Justin Timberlake. But yeah, the show production level of this, even the sad songs, even the other songs, if they're up to par with this, it's going to be an amazing album. Right. Uh, referring back to what Steve just said about making you want to turn something off, we oh. get our next track, Number, Panda. number two. Yes. This is actually two number on the two. List. 
Panda by designer with two eyes in the name because gonna, I guess with one eye was taken. And, and yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I don't understand that part. I'm going to be at a loss for words and I'm going to cling to Steve for dear life as to why I hate this well, song. Good, Everyone, good but, segue. He's at a loss for words. But. Because oh. I don't understand what he says. Okay, so let me get my piece out on this track okay, and then we'll go. go through it because it's my turn. I kind my turn. of set it up on a pretty negative place. I, uh, it's no secret to the listeners that I listen to a lot of indie rap and I am quite familiar with the scene and enjoy it a lot and I'm a fan of a lot of the artists there and in the nerdcore scene as well. Panda uh, by Designer is a perfect example of why I hate modern rap because this is popular. It's number two of the Hot 100 and I don't get it. And if it's the first what? time I a few feel weeks like ago it was number one. Yeah. So this is a song that's not a dance song. It's truly a rap song by namesake alone, I suppose. But there's no content here. In the lyrics, in the music, in the beat work, I'm just, I'm at a loss for what to say other than I'm bored by it. From the moment it starts, I've got big question marks. This has been the criticism lodged against rap since the 1980s when it first came out, which is basically if you don't really get the message or if you don't see the content there and you just see a whitewash of words just coming at you, which is not even being sung, they got the nerve not even to sing it. At least it's the view when, you know, rap was new uh, by, I guess, probably a lot of white people. (laughs) And then, of course... They're gonna think like, yeah, it's gibberish. And if they got a, if they had a song like this, you know, in front of them, oh boy, it would validate that perspective because which is this, of course not a valid perspective. It's but... not a valid perspective because it doesn't showcase, you know, uh, the entire genre. But it does showcase a a a decent like certain subsection of the genre, which would absolutely just use the form, I guess, for their own personal gain. Yeah. I don't know if I'm like I'm not gonna just straight up criticize. Uh, designer here, but here's a little bit of background. Um, Actually, I'm just going to pull this from an article. I think this was from Consequence of Sound. Uh, Designer's Panda is the number one song in America right now. That's how I know it was at number one. I believe this was from back in April. His detractors say he's ripping off uh, the artist Future, but the controversy surrounding the 19-year-old New Yorker's rise to fame is rooted in something much bigger. Andrew Friedman unravels the latest episode in New York's history of borrowing from other rap regions. So he's the author here. Designer's rise to fame is the stuff of legend. Panda, the Brooklyn rapper's breakout hit about a a black and white car uh, that may or may not actually exist, was one of the first things he ever recorded. He bought the beat from a producer in England for 200 bucks. The track was good, and after hearing, uh, and after earning a little bit of local buzz, it somehow made its way to Kanye West. And so Yeezy ended up repurposing Panda into Father Stretch My Hands Part 2 on the life of Pablo and signing designer to his label, uh, G-O-O-O-D Music. That's the backstory for this song. So this is another thing where it was Does pulled res- up by it- its bootstraps by another artist. How much respect can you have? All right, let's stop beating around let's the bush the here. Call, okay. These are the lyrics. I got broads in Atlanta, twisting dope, lean, and the Fanta. Credit cards and the scammers, hitting off licks in the bando. Black X6 Phantom, white X6 look like a panda, going out like I'm Montana. Self-apparent, right? Yeah, I just... Hundred killers, hundred hammers, black X6 Phantom, white X6 panda, pockets swole, Danny. Selling bar candy. Man, I'm the macho like Randy. Okay, enough. The chopper like... Could the chopper go Oscar for Grammy? Bitch, nigga, pull up your panty. You hope you 
killers understand me. I don't understand you, and that's you, the problem. You, you can you can definitely detect that final line with everything else that's being said right there because he's mumbling. Like Rihanna mumbling earlier, we complained a little bit. I really didn't like it. This is just like he's got something in his mouth. As it he's gets worse later on. But that's not that's not the part that really. Like, okay, that pissed me off. That really did upset me. But then, you gotta remember, there's 40 seconds of just random background dropping noise before we even get to any sort of music in this And track. him just saying the word panda. Panda, 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 panda. And not panda, panda, panda. Like, you can barely... I, no, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, where is he going with this? I'm touring... Panda. Oh, God. It's I'm nonsense. getting into Louis Black during this bit. Like, it's infuriating Panda. how much it's, I don't like this track. Yeah, it's 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 nonsense. It's non sequitur. It doesn't make sense. And it's almost purposeless. Uh, well, would, no. No, no. There's some purpose. You had to get... He's bringing back the... Brat. The, the, the brat. It's, it's coming back. I just... I think what aggravates me about the song most is what I love about the other rappers I listen to. I played for John and Steve, one of my favorites, Mr. Megaran, who has been on Crash Chords Autographs, taking the song and parodying it by using the exact same instrumentation, the same track, and rapping about Mega Man bosses and his life together over it. No, he's not rapping about Mega Man bosses. He's using Mega Man Man bosses bosses to rap about life. Which is a pretty brilliant in and of itself to really, like come up with a concept like that and make it so you know tight and focused on it and does it over this and, and makes it better what's great is it's 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 not even that he uses the the beat itself the pacing yeah, is almost same. exactly the same almost yeah. exactly the same he's doing a Weird Al style parody in the fact that he's using the actual music <laughs> that was from the original track and just putting his own lyrics over it yet it's brilliant yeah, because absolutely like the concept alone is 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 nice and cheeky and I like that and it's funny and, you know, it's not a nerd, connects to me. I'm not a big Mega Man fan, but still connects to me in, in some ways. But it's so tight in that case, while here, this is just, this is barely stream of consciousness. But he interjects it with a little, and obviously we're going to have more fun here just talking about the uh, the, the, the parody than, yeah. than about the actual song here. But, you know, he interjects it with little, little, little jabs, I suppose, at designer. And about rap in general. And about rap in general, and also about like how he treats some of these little interjections, like panda, panda. Well, in his in Mega Rand's version, it's random, yeah. Because that is literally all those little sound bites serve. It's just random effects for the the head scratching curiosity that is this track. And I think I think the reason I bring that up mostly is because it proves that there's nothing wrong with the the instrumentation and the beat here. You can do something with it. Just this guy doesn't. I would not invest in anything or look into anything this guy has ever done based on this track. I have no desire. I think he's a hack personally, and I guess that's a little harsh, but I just Yeah, maybe I I'm downplaying it. it. I was originally gonna say I don't like to like just straight up criticize the artist, but yeah, how can you not? I mean how can you not? Now that said, I could be being a little, you know, closed off, and maybe one of his other tracks is better. But based well, on this song alone, I have no interest in finding it. There is out. a little bit of uh, like storytelling that comes in later in the track that he, where he is trying to get a like I guess a message or a point of cross, but by that point, a, it it's actually downhill. The vocals get even harder to understand, and B, and this is probably the more important problem. I'm tuning out. Yeah, and okay, I've brought on most of the hip hop and rap that we listen to on this show. 
I'm usually the one that rates the highest. I love well-formed wordsmithing. This is, you're taking cereal out of the box, throwing it on the ground, and using the letters and numbers and lucky charms or something like that to try to write a song. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm 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 just I'm try, I'm trying. I'm flabbergasted that it's. I'm at trying the top. not to be a curmudgeon, but this yeah. feels like it's an idea that could have taken another f- like year or so to develop back in the '90s and might have turned into a great piece. Yeah, but he has the most barest of bones musically for it, and really, I don't think he really has any idea like word-wise where to go with this track. But does it matter at the end of the day? Because this is part of the point that, I guess sort of the parallel discussion that I was hoping to have over the course here is as many critiques as we have had over all of these songs and certainly probably some of the most scathing reserved for this particular track, he's at the top. Yep. No, Can you I, explain that? Nope. I can't. I have no way to explain it. Yeah. Other than I will not well, rest actually, until you have. Okay, I, actually, I, no, I can. I right now I'll explain it. Kanye West, that's why. Word Connections. of mouth. Connections. Absolutely. There absolutely. you are. Just, I, I mean, Justin Bieber got the same thing when Usher pushed him up. It's absolutely connection here. There it's you his are. association to Kanye West is what made this popular. I promise you, if he released wait, it on wait, his wait, own, wait, it I'm gonna be. let you finish. But um, I think it's also because he's 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 quote edgy. It's different. It sounds different than a lot of hip hop. It really does. But I think that's actually because it's it's. Maybe he was trying for something that sounded different and everything like that, but it doesn't sound like just straight up different. It sounds underproduced, which is the weirdest part. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything like it has, Kanye, I, I, I was going to propose something a little bit different, and that was the surrealist aspect of it. And it's not clever surrealism. It's random surrealism. And that's always been the critique of surrealism anyway, is that what you will get by kind of pulling stuff from thin air is random, you know? And... and I, I don't know. I, I, f- I feel like any of these points that are That appeals to some people. It appeals to some crowds. Sure. I feel like any of these points are valid, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we... I mean, it, it is where it is. Well, even if the appeal actually winds up kind of eating itself and there are people checking this out just to make fun of it. Yeah. And that's a big thing, too. It could be it, too. Sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue that. I mean, you got a laugh out of it. It pissed me the hell off, but also because I did get a laugh out of it. But for me, I'm someone who listens to a ton of rap, especially now more in my life than I did in the past. And so, for me, it was just an affront on that thing that I like. And I think that's kind of what Mega Rand is trying you. to prove when he did what he did, going, "Oh, you want to use a basic beat and make a terrible song? Well, I'll show you how to make a better one." Without saying that. No, so. I totally got you. And uh, just to say, it's not. this is not like turning into, you know, an angry, uh, you know, the people are wrong yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like, that's not necessarily this because, rest assured, this song is in a heap of controversy right yeah, now. Sure. It has created controversy. There are people that are very upset that this is at the top. And it stems not just for the reasons that we cited, but also for the dominant reason, which is he. The, a lot of people think he lifted it off yeah. of this other artist, the future. So if everything else wasn't enough... It's got stealing, that too. it's sampling. Of All course. Right? It's, yeah. just, it's just sampling somebody's work. <laughs> the guy had uh-huh. the nerve to say, I feel like really me and, and uh, the other, art, other artist, uh, Future, we're both blessed. Uh. <laughs> All right, on that note, I'm moving on to our number one of the top ten of the top hot 100, which is One Dance by Drake featuring Wizkid and Kyla. Um, From the album Views. Yes, which is his newest record. I almost don't want to direct you towards albums, but I got, we have to reiterate well, For some of these, we've done that, and yeah. so... Well, the, most of the ones we didn't were actually self-titles. Right. You can easily find them. And anyway, so this is Drake, who's an artist as a whole, I don't really get, but this, this is a heavy beat-backed dance song where he's got very 
very kind of cliche R&B vocals going. Uh, you know, it's it's dancey. I feel like here in this track, the 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 chorus is sang by Kayla, and it's, she has a very sweet, beautiful voice. But you know, I feel like this is one of those songs structured that I could dance to it, but I don't really need lyrics. I was I'm very much in the place where you know can't stop the feeling, which we were talking about by Justin Timberlake, is so integrated with both the lyrics and the music to get you moving here. It's just the beat that would get me moving. Well, if next at all. To, next it's, to your uh, next to designer, I mean, this oh, yeah, looks this like he's art. a pure poet. Yeah, sure. I mean, and Drake's not a terrible lyricist. I mean, I've read. No, some he of actually is pretty terrible. <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, what was? I can't think of the exact words, but I'm pretty sure it was coming off the last record. I'm getting 20 million off the record, just off these records. Like he used the word record three times in a row to remind to, to rhyme with itself. That was another song. Sure. Yeah, that was another song. Yeah. Like he he, I don't even remember the song, but I remember like that was All one right, of the I'll things. It. All right, well let's go. So here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that really upsets me about Drake. You his voice is indistinguishable from anybody else using auto tune. Sure. Anybody I would agree can with that. do that. I would say that as as mediocre as his lyrics are, his vocals are worse than that, so it's why I don't really care about the lyrics. bad because they're auto-tuned. There is a certain caliber that auto-tune automatically sets you at. He is that rung of caliber. Anybody who got auto-tuned would sound just like him if they were not singing, if they were talking. Right. That's exactly what it is. And that's what actually upsets me, not the song, but the fact that individuals like Drake are as popular as they are as rappers or pop stars or hip hop artists because there's I don't I don't want you to be great or terrible or anything like that. I want you to be realistic. Authentic. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's um, a much better word. I, and there's I nothing have a different problem here. Vocals. I have no actually I have we the all, opposite We have very problem. different problems. I have the this opposite one. problem here. This is he's he's too plain. Like there it it's it, I guess it is realistic because it just sounds like he's speaking and there's no inflection there to kind of give it that that little certain something that says I'm listening to music right now. I hear a little bit of auto-tuning in the background, but he's at complete bland, like, speaking volume. There's no, uh, there's no affectation there. There's no color. There's no nothing. Like, it's just, it's a very characterless character. Well, he's, it's very spoken here, yet you're not really getting any, it's not a story. There's not really a story here that you're getting out of it. My favorite parts are when Kyla comes in to say, baby, I like your style. Well, because that's it, my favorite part. Well, because it, she's got a nice singing voice, and yes. it, it's it, that working with the dance beat feels very kind of wistful and dancey. All right, let me address the dance beat. So the dance beat actually is almost like a rigatone beat, but yeah. like without the overbearing production value, which is interesting because it's it and it's so much thinner than rigatone, and I kind of appreciate it for that. You still get the beat, but it, yeah, I, I'll give it credit for just kind of taking it down a notch. And later on, it gets like replaced by the piano, and I kind of like the off nature of the piano. Like the piano mm-hmm. is now governing the beat and then later in the middle of the song they're really messing with the rhythm here. I don't know if it's like 100% artful but I give them credit for straying from the the core foundation of this track. Mm-hmm. Like that that's enough. That's enough just to say all right, all right, this track is evolving. It's not a it's not a stagnant 3 minute, you know, cut and paste <laughs> printed sold, you know. Sure. I I'm uh, we're clearly a little bit bitter at this point, but uh, for the number one, considering we just followed Panda, you know what? I, this is more of like par for the course. Sure. I figure that if I, ever, I at any at any point, you know, if I browse by the Billboard charts and I search the number one, I'd find something, something along something those like lines. This. Well, because it's very, you can very much relate to it in the fact that you can kind of just 
get swept yeah. up in it if you're not paying that much attention. It's a dance song, you know, and it's a dance song like unlike the other ones. If you don't, if you zone out on Drake's lyrics and just focus on the chorus and the beat, you can you can dance to it, and you can probably get quite wrapped up in the the, the, rig, the, the lighter rigatone beat. There's a dazed nature to this. I mean, yeah, it's. And I don't know, even if it's just creative for the sake of it and the little off-rhythm stuff in the middle, I, I appreciate it for that. I like the electric guitar color. Uh, I just I just hate the vocalist. I, yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, I think we can all agree that Drake is not the vocalist we'd want on this song. Well, I'm actually a little more down. I'd rather him be rapping here. Well, yeah, for sure. Because, I, I mean, I've heard some of his rap <coughs> stuff, and as plain as it can be, at least it's entertaining. I'm actually a little more down. I'd like, I don't really, I, I feel like so many of these different sections that he seems to have in this, feel like they're made just to be the section for the idea that needed to be there. Yeah. Like it was paint by numbers but with sound. Like that's what it was and, right. and it's I mean that that said, I wouldn't buy anything by Drake sadly, based on this. Sadly, it wouldn't sell a record on me or the single itself. Here's the thing. He gets so this is what's curious about Drake himself. He gets so much flack from such a large portion, maybe not the majority portion, obviously, but such a large portion of people, both in and outside the music scene, as well as fans, he gets so much flack that nobody really likes him, yet, number one. And he gets, he's yeah. gotten quite oh, sure. amazing when sales, I- yet, I hate, don't even say it, don't even say it. Do not even say it. That's a worse song. Right, but I'm saying Which it, one? Tell hot, the audience. Hotline Bling, which got parodied to death because of the music video and how strange he was dancing in it. And it, it, he, it, he, like, in so many ways, he feels like the awkward kid that was kind of excluded in class, and he's trying to make up for he's it. He's trying to be cooler to, than to, he to is. To the cool kids. Like, I guess he's trying, so. He's trying to be... And I just... I'm like, yeah, okay. I understand, like, throwing yourself out there. Putting yourself out there. I respect that aspect. Don't get me wrong. For all the, 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 the kind of, like, rage we had against so many of the musicians here... I respect the hell out of them that they're able to produce music that is, you know, so so endeared in society in general. That's amazing. They have and it's know, a crapshoot. You, you you know, the odds of actually being able to do that is nil. Essentially, unless, but here's the, here's the thing, and this is this is like I guess the wrap up of the wrap up of the of the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the main I'd like reasons. you to take, as you go through this, since we're all going to have our little wrap yeah. up, our little reflection on these three, try to consider some of those things that I mentioned earlier, including the thing that Matt said. Would you buy some of these things based off of the singles in question? What do you think the mass appeal behind most of this is? What do you think the, the tricks are that they're using to either get away with anything or, you know, maybe deliver us something surprising? What's revolutionary about it and what's the case of runaway marketing? At the end of the day, I... As I know it's a lot on your plate. I'll look at Justin. I'll definitely go back to Justin, because he's awesome. He made a great pop, almost, you know, funk, borderline jazz. It's, it's, it's awesome. It is actually not the single genre of so much of the rest of this, you know, amalgamation of musical parts. I wouldn't really delve into anybody. I wouldn't de- outright purchase anybody else's work right here. And that's... Primarily because, like, on the show, we, we seek new and inventive, and that's one of the big things we, we push. The idea of something that is abnormal in many ways. And in, that, in this case, it's actually a compliment. Be different. Be unique. Be, be the individual little snowflake you can be. And revel in it and enjoy it. As much as like, some of the albums I really disliked on the, on the show, I, some of them I've actually rated extremely high because... 
well, they're doing things and pushing boundaries. It's just not to my taste. And that's okay. You don't have to be accepted by the masses. This this is an example of what good marketing can do because in so many cases, especially with Panda, like it's just a shotgun and shotgun and a fish in a barrel. Like that's all that's going on right here. If you hit enough people with music, regardless of what the track is, you will eventually sell a lot of it. Yeah. So you got Kanye and whoever, you know, backing you up, you can get enough people to buy it because while it may be the lowest possible percentage you can actually get, 0.1% of a billion is a ton of people. And yeah, you'll make money. And that's why, and that's where the Billboard Top 100, in my honest opinion, really seems to come from. The people who can put their name out enough and get lucky enough to capture that 0.1% of people that's going to buy their music. So, yeah. <laughs> that's why we don't do pop, I guess. At the end of the day, I mean, that's why we, we uh, in many ways, we but ignore. But we do. But we do. And we, we give it, we give it about this the, list, though. We give pop music, the ones that are usually more popular than most, the same amount of do as we give lots of other genres. Yeah. We try to be equal about it because we could be surprised. And always is a crapshoot with whatever album we get. So I'm not going to go into what I would and wouldn't buy because I was pretty clear as we went track by track on that, at least personally. Okay. But what I will say is, speaking to more of Steve's points, I think that on the broadest scope, does the marketing machine work? Yes. I mean, it's a simple answer. <laughs> yes. uh, it's, the, it's been there's that way. no discussion. There's no elaboration. Since like the 20s. Yeah, yes. It's been very, so, very easy to do. So moving past that, you know, I feel like some of the songs absolutely deserve to be here. Again, I'm not going to go into so much detail because we, we were pretty detailed as we went through it. But I will say... The marketing machine works, and at the end of the day, if that's what it takes to get your music out there, and that's the, 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 the course you're going through, I have no business criticizing that, because it worked for you, and you got your music out there, but I don't have to like it, and I made that pretty clear, too. Um, I absolutely want to review Justin Timberlake's next album. Yeah. I absolutely do, after hearing him on this. And there are some other artists, like, I will go check out Lucas, who we were talking about earlier. I'll check him out, but I'm definitely not doing a blind buy. Uh, yeah, I'm no, I wouldn't do a blind buy either. Justin, but I would, check I would out. do a blind buy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that you know, a lot of the things that Steve was mentioned that we should be looking for <laughs> fell flat in a lot of places here. But there were some shining standout things. And honestly, Justin Timberlake could have been number one three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I don't know. We're not looking at that. We're looking at this specific week that these were the top ten. But uh, but I think. My final note is that Panda being in the top ten, being the top two, is atrocious. And I, I don't get it. And I that's something that I can only explain away by the marketing machine and who you know. Not just absolutely. the marketing machine, the controversy. Sure, and the controversy, honest, absolutely. The controversy, Steve never heard. Actually, that's right. Steve bring up the controversy, that's probably what sold it also. But controversy always sells. The yep. only time, always. The only time you, you, you have bad publicity is when you have no publicity. Right. Kanye's walking controversy. Yeah, that's yeah. also true. All right, so I guess it's my turn... I, I I mean, I don't want to discuss this in terms of a success or a failure in terms of a project. Sure. I think we always were, uh, we, it was always a crapshoot um, if we were going to be pessimistic about this. And I said at the beginning we should have optimism and pessimism because that's the only way that you end up remaining objective in the end. But, you know, going in, if, if you go in optimistically, then... Yeah, I'd say this kind of went a little bit south. But at any point, when you usually check the top ten, it usually speaks to this caliber of stuff. Maybe not Panda, necessarily. <laughs> that was a little bit surprising. Um, and uh, Justin Timberlake, on the other side, was 
really surprising. Um, saving goals for seven years. So we got a couple of good ones out of a lot of things that I would probably argue, you know, could deserve maybe a second look on the populace. And maybe, you know, some of the stuff, they'll be gone within just a couple weeks. Several weeks. I know that several of them are, several of these tracks are, are still within the top ten, although they've kind of shifted a little bit uh, as of today, the day we've recorded, because they actually have already shifted one week forward to the week of July 2nd, and it'll be farther along by the time uh, you, our listeners, are listening. So um, they always shift around, and probably some of them will get dropped off and fade really, really far from public memory. Um, In which case, you might say, well, what did we do today? What did we spend our time on? Well, what do we ever spend our time on? Some albums we look at, you know, may never really get more than a few thousand listeners ever, like in their history, before they kind of fade into obscurity. That's kind of a sad thing, considering we've often stumbled upon some gems that I really wish were a little bit more part of uh, the national memory, the national uh, experience, I guess, the artistic experience. Um... I I am a little bit at a loss. I think that we gleaned some, we criticized a lot, and it'll probably, if we did the same thing next year, it would probably be a completely different answers. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know? I I don't think we're going to be doing the same project many times frequently. We may have been a little bit turned off from that, but it's always worth checking out. It's always worth just, you know, if one of these artists, for instance, takes off and if we ever hear, you know, a new piece of work they've done, which is uh, significantly improved, who knows? Maybe designer, maybe he'll become the next uh, film composer. You don't know. Uh, I do. He won't. You, you, yeah. yeah. There was actually a line in the very article that I read where it's just like, people have a controversy now about the guy, but it'll it'll all be pretty moot if he can't duplicate his success. Right. Well, he yeah. could be a one-hit wonder and be done. Yeah. So that's just the same with just about all of these. I I agree with Matt. It the, As to the fourth point here, you know, in my little list, it is, a, a lot of this is a case of runaway marketing, and it could be argued that even the the best artists, it may still, their success and I mean, like, sale, success in sales may still be a, a, a case of runaway marketing. Even when it's you're talking about the best of the best, the cream of the crop, whether they're good really has very little to do with whether you are necessarily popular in today's society. That probably is a piece of pessimism, but I do think it, it, it does hold true in various portions of the business. If you're in different portions of the business, it may be far more democratic and far more... Well, actually, this is democratic, but it may be far more proportional. <coughs> so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that we did what we did today. It, it may have uh, been challenging at times. We may have That's kind of kind struggled of the whole at point. times. But, yeah, I think uh, this, is, this was very much needed for us to, to stretch our, our muscles in, in a different way. Because when we get sure. a new album, you know, we'll have this behind us and we'll probably look at it more po- optimistically. So am I credited or blamed for this idea? I just Both. want to know. Okay. Both. Both. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. Well, thank you for listening to us <laughs> for four years, listeners. Those who've been here since the beginning, thank you for tolerating us. And for those who came recently, thank you for checking us out. Um, there are a lot of avenues where we can be discovered from. I've appeared on other shows. We've, you know, had guests from different places. So if you're listening now and listen in the future, thank you. Um, a little before we sign off for the day and for 
the week, I want to talk about what we're going to do next week. That's which... right, because there's no spam this week. I never like to do spam on our anniversary episodes. It just it feels so cheap. <laughs> it does. But we're doing a first for for this year. We're doing our all pick for this year. Um, a band that we all highly regard and enjoy is coming out with a brand new record. Actually, just came out as of when we're recording this. And that is the Red Hot Chili Peppers and their newest record, The Getaway. I've heard the single from the record. I like it. It's Chili Peppers. So... Kind of going into this with rose-colored glasses because I'm a big fan, but we're going to take them on because the three of us are a fan of theirs, and uh, we've been waiting for works, a new work for them for a couple of years now, so I'm excited to take it on. And we've not done them on the podcast before. We haven't had the opportunity to, really. Like, it, has, it just hasn't come up. It hasn't come up. And they're one of my favorites. They are. They really are. So you can tune into that next week. And remember, as always... Music is life, and life is good. 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 Thanks for listening. Maybe. <laughs> If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going. Because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.